Strangers in the night. They're writing emails. Hey there. If you're about to listen to this podcast, there's something you need to know. There's going to be profanity and controversial ideas because we keep it real. If that's a problem, you might want to listen to something else. Okay, welcome, nerds and nerdettes, to the Sprue Cutters Union, episode 10. With me, I've got Will Patson and Tracy Hancock. Say hello, boys. Hello, boys. Hello, boys. <laughs> hello, boys. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to talk shit about models, as usual. Guys, what have you been up to this week? I have been putting together my T-Rex uh, Panzer One tracks. Bang a gong, get it on. Yeah, man, they're they're great. They are so good. Uh, they're obviously petite, one thirty-fifth scale Panzer One tracks by any manufacturer are quite small, um, uh, but they're they're super easy to put together, and and you get a real quick rhythm built up, and and before you know it, you've got quite a bit done. Um, each one has a little pip, and the corresponding uh, other link has uh, a little a divot, and you put the pip in the divot and then you kind of push them together and you put your resin pen in and uh, I'm using the flat side of my tweezers and give it a push to, to seat it and away you go. And as I've showed you guys uh, <laughs> over the last couple of days, they're not only workable, but I put them on the tank and I, I can roll the tank across a flat surface <laughs> and, and it, they Make work. your brum brum noises. And you yeah, yeah, absolutely. He is. He is. Achtung, Hans. Schweinhundpanzer. <laughs> <laughs> Move forward at a rapid pace. Gott in Himmel. Literally, when I joined the, the, the squad cast yesterday for an interview, <laughs> Tracy was sitting there rolling his tank back and forth across his <laughs> desktop. But, Play with this thing. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I can't. Uh, I was talking to Sam Dwyer the other day, and, and he's been messing around with some as well and we both agree like i i don't know if i'm ever gonna buy another set of uh those hungarian tracks that i can't pronounce <laughs> Fru- that white metal Fru- shit freel 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 bird you took a good run two good runs got it wrong freel yeah um i mean obviously i've got some in my stash and i'm not going to get rid of them but Man, if he keeps producing aftermarket tracks for everything that I need to build, I'm I'm gonna buy those first. And it's gotten that little Panzer One project off the shelf of Doom and back onto the bench. Uh because it went on the shelf of Doom because the the free old tracks that I had bought, whenever I assembled them, they were either too long or too short. You know, they were too short, I'd add a link, and then they were just too long. So the the pitch was never right, and they didn't fit the sprocket very well, the the dragon kit sprocket, and all that is uh, perfectly fine on these uh, these little T Rex tracks. So, can I be a bit heretical for a minute? Mm-hmm. Only well, a minute, because yeah. I'm going to do it fucking anyway. Right, real are way overrated. All right, it's one of those things where people buy the kit, and the first thing they do is go out and buy their set of metal tracks. They've got to get their set of metal tracks. They're not that great though. 
they're not as good. In fact, they're they're good, but they're not as good. No, look, I see, I see guys, I see guys talking about their freel tracks and how they have to go and drill them out, and then they got to put the wire pins in there and they got to clip the wire pins. And and honestly, yeah, I don't mind all that. I don't but, mind but, all that. Yeah, I just, but, but, they're not but that, that sharp. But that doesn't make it. That doesn't make it not garbage. I mean, and obviously the well, fact that I mean, there's but they're not garbage, you know. No, like, they're not garbage. I mean, if they were okay, like okay, okay. My term, missing, my, my, t- my term for anything that requires excessive work compared to because, like, the competition has come out with like these things. What are they called? T Rex. And we were talking about the model casting tracks that are injection molded. There's just better out. Al- there's just better alternatives now. Free was a bit like Hornet for a long time. They were the only game in town. Exactly, with Hornet, they still are. And so and so they've collected a Hang on. They, they, but it, not just before T Rex, uh there was like some cheap knockoff for free or came out, like Spade Ace and stuff, Spade like, Ace that. And stuff like that. But then you got Master Club and Master Club are sharp as fuck. They're really nice. The detail's superior, the casting's superior, the quality's control superior. And other people have come along and are beating them at their own game, and that's before three D, that's before T Rex. Mm-hmm. And now you've got T Rex that's that next level up again. So really, Freel, I don't know why people still buy them. I don't think they're worth it. And also, people say, well, I like the I like the proper sag. I like the, the weight and the sag, and they give a nice weight. And it's But we're modellers, and I always preferred good quality plastic tracks, because if you want to sag on it, well, we should be able to depict a sag without requiring metal to do it for us. Well, I mean, there there are... Yeah, I think the, the weight of the track in creating a natural sag on its own... There's a lot of merit to that. Um, the, you know, as far as assembling them, you know, they give you a spool of wire and you're supposed to put the wire in and snip it and then put a little dab of super glue right there. But, I mean, probably a decade ago, uh, Rinaldi or, or somebody else, he might have stolen it from somebody else, but I certainly stole yeah. it from him, uh, the idea of using uh, brass rod. Mm-hmm. And so you have your drill bit handy in case there was a, a link that needed to be cleaned out, but you push the brass rod in and it was a friction fit and you trim it off and away you go. And, you know, you put a movie on and you sit there and and just mindlessly go through this and you don't need to use a drop of glue at all. And the other thing for me is I developed, a, you know, a pretty quick and efficient way, you know, using blacken it or, or blackening solutions. Your weathering of those tracks is you know, three quarters done when you take them out of that solution. Um, and that's something that you're not going to get from 3D printed tracks or plastic tracks or anything like that. So it's an adjustment, not saying, you know, one is better than the other. They have uh, their own pros and cons. Um, but yeah, it, I agree that, that Frile has not really kept up with the competition, even just in terms of, of cast metal tracks uh, that have come out since. Well, what about like these Chinese companies that are making them, like they appear to be die cast, maybe even uh, of a harder harder material and the holes are already there. You don't have to. Yeah, not Spade Ace. I, I got a set of Spade Ace tracks for the Type 89. Yeah, well, they were, they were one of the popular ones and they were, to be honest, they were as expensive as Freel, but the quality wasn't as good. And considering the quality of Freel has dipped, that's saying something. They were worse, if anything. The, the, they cast all right, but they were so much work to put together, so much harder. And the metal was a lot softer. But, the you know, sometimes you're limited by your 
the subject matter. Yeah, well, you know, I don't think there's model else... custom tracks for them, and I couldn't find them. So, what are you going to do? Right, that's exactly like you that. say. Yeah, you, yeah, either, yeah. you either go with the rubber band that the the kit gives you, or Blah, never. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't do that. <laughs> um, so you, you hate re- modeling. You replace them with what you can find that's available for them. You know. I always thought the 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 chief attraction with the metal ones was that you, the 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 shiny bits. You know the parts that don't get rust or dirt or whatever actually are look like real metal. That's yeah, you too. can polish them up and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, I'm really digging these T Rex tracks as far as uh, yeah. assembly. Sorry and- for the massive derail. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got a little off we got a little off track there, folks. Yeah, but I mean, all I've been doing actually is, is track work. Uh, I should have been finishing up the um, the little Chi new. Uh, link and length tracks for the other side of that vehicle, but I got sidetracked with the shiny and the new, and I put my T Rex tracks together and played with my tank. <laughs> but that's cool because, like we were talking about last time, for you that was like a seven-year shelf queen or something. Wasn't yeah. It? So it's really nice that something like that's come back because you got the right thing to to make it interesting for you again. Yeah, and it's it's such a cool project, you know, like mm. this the actual vehicle that I'm doing, I've not seen anybody else do it. Um, so that's another thing that kind of lights a fire under me. I'm like, I, I pick my subject matter. I like unique vehicles or uniquely modified vehicles. Um, mm. So I'd hate to put the work that I've already got into this thing and then just watch somebody else come along and, and, you know, knock it out of the park. And then I'm like, well, fuck, what am I going to do with this kit now? Um, so nobody else seems to have done the project that I'm working on. So now that it's, uh, there's not a holdup with the tracks, it's back on the bench and, and I've got a lot of renewed enthusiasm for it. What about you, Will? What have you been up to? Uh, nothing that, nothing that interesting. Uh, I have been, uh, I can, I continuing to dial in my new EPAX, uh, 3d printer, which has been both fun and frustrating. Um, cause I actually, you know, started to, to, to challenge myself in terms of figuring out how to, how to print things that were more difficult, uh, than just, you know, little test parts and, and uh, figures, because you just about can't screw up a figure on a 3D printer. Uh, and I'm I'm switching over to the uh, uh, AnyCubic Craftsman Gray Resin. I know that's not going to mean anything to a lot of guys, but uh, when you get into 3D printing, you're going to recognize that there's a lot of different resins that are available. And and even though Craftsman, they're... that sounds really cool. Right, like it's right. Really quality, right. It? Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it's automatically. And for me, because, you know, in my real toolbox outside in my in my shed, as you guys like to call it, I have nothing but Craftsman wrenches. So yeah, anyway, I, um, I had seen that this stuff was supposed to have a good like balance between resolution and surface finish because even though all these resins are pretty close to the same like like it's kind of like with cyanoacrylate right they're all basically the same chemistry but they put modifiers in them to get them to behave a little bit differently and all are not equal are they mm-hmm, no and and uh and and these 3d printing sla resins are exactly the same way and and this Anticubic Craftsman, it is good stuff. The Craftsman Gray specifically is what I'm using. And it is a really nice resin. 
and I've had some really good success with it. So that's been fun. Um, I, uh, I think I mentioned on the last episode that I was about to start my new project, which is the Ming uh, Super Hornet, and I have been into that been doing a lot of assembly on it um and and it's it's a you know i think it's a pretty nice kit so far the engineering is is really solid it's good the fit is is really nice the molding quality is outstanding i haven't seen a single instance of flash you know certainly no short shots or any any weird shit like that but (laughs) the (laughs) The thing that's got me completely stumped right now, and I'm sure that all the jet modelers out there are going to be laughing at me for this, is the fucking intakes. What the fuck? Like I, I oh, totally I saw that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally get why you know people buy seamless resin intakes because I did that when I built my F4 a couple of years ago, but there's not any available yet for this thing, as far as I know. And I don't think I would have done it anyway because I was committed to doing this thing out of the box. But I, I'm a, I'm about to throw it out the window because <laughs> <laughs> these, I hope Mark Neville's listening because he managed. He did, and he did a beautiful job. <laughs> and I'd and I'd like to know exactly how he how he handled the intakes because so there's this trick that uh, fundamental some guys, modeling skills. Exactly. We're gonna get yeah. We'll get back to this. Um, <laughs> So there's this trick that, that 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 people do where they put the intakes together, and you put tape on the bottom of it to seal it off, and 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 then you dump uh, latex house paint in it, which is just really thick Vallejo. Let's be honest, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. So you go down to the you go down to the hardware store, you buy yourself a can of white latex, and the first time I did it, I thought, oh, I'm just supposed to take it out of the can, dump it in there. It was super thick, right? Because the idea is that that fills the uh the seam line yeah the, levels and smooth yeah, doesn't it? yeah well, that was a fail they looked like total shit and uh, then i got into the process of stripping that stuff out of the insides of this little half inch diameter tube <laughs> Ugh, and and that turned into a lacquer thinner and scrub like you know those those really shitty airbrush cleaning brushes uh, that that you never want to actually use on your airbrush. Thankfully, I kept those around, and and I was able to use those and some lacquer thinner to get all that shit out of there. <laughs> and I used the I used the anti-cubic washing cure. I found a new use for that to rinse them in IPA. Because let me tell you something, that house paint is tough shit. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. So so then I decided. All right, uh, I I took in all the advice that guys were giving me on SMCG. And uh, I, I thinned the paint about 40% with water and uh, did it again. And it, it just still, it's just not, it's just not working good. And I don't know if it's because I'm just an idiot or if I've got bad paint. Maybe not all house paint is the same for this trick. I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm really ready to just say fuck it and hope nobody ever shines a flashlight in there. Let's troubleshoot a minute. What? When you say it looks bad, what's the problem? What does it look like? So there's 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 three issues. Uh, the first issue is that the paint does not just stick in an even layer. Um, right. it, it, it runs, you know, and, and, and so uh, and, and with the paint being full thickness and and keeping the the intakes vertical to drain them, like people told me to do. 
not all of the runs would run all the way out. Okay. So there would be, you know, be like a big lump on the inside where a, yeah, where a, like where a, where a right yeah. where a run just sort of solidified. And the other issue was, and this is the worst issue, is that anywhere anywhere the paint is kind of thick, like in the corners of the uh-huh. intakes, because the front of a Hornet intake is kind of rectangular. The paint would uh, crack as it dries, uh, which yeah. looks horrible. I mean, that comp- you know that that's that, where the that's, medium shrinks. And, yeah, yeah, the solution's exactly. as bad as the problem. Yeah. It is. It is worse. Worse, yeah. worse, actually. And and so I thought that maybe thinning it would solve that problem. Uh, well, both of those sound like yes, yeah, too thick. Yeah. So I thinned it, and and it did help. It did help with both of those. But now the third problem is that it just, it, it just like it doesn't cling in an even layer. And 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 several guys said, well, I primed mine first, and I did not. But I did the same thing by sanding the insides of those things. Um, so they have yeah, plenty of tooth. There's a key, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Right. There's there's key. They're keyed, uh, and the paint's just not really gripping very well. And it's made me wonder if I shouldn't have gotten flat instead of gloss. Uh, I really wish I had not thrown away my bottle of Steinol Res White because that stuff was magic. And I probably honestly could have just brush painted that shit on the insides of these intakes. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'm actually going to take that thinned house paint and put it in my uh, HPTH and turn the pressure up to about 400 PSI and see, <laughs> see if I can just spray it in there and see what happens. I mean, so I'll just, you know. You're going you're gonna to put it in your tool, turn it up to 400 <laughs> PSI and spray white shit everywhere. Right. It's, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, at the po- I'm at the point where I just have nothing to lose. So, anyway, we'll see what happens. Uh, but, a thought yeah. occurs, serious thought this okay. time. Uh, you might want to try it inside like a piece of like PVC tube or something first, mm-hmm. rather than risk it on your model. But what about if you've got the paint in there, all thinned in that, and then you hit the outside with a hairdryer to get it to sort of start to catalyze, and then let it drain out? That's Would that make bad. it grip I, it, better? It, it, it might. I don't. I don't know. I don't know at this point. At this point, I mean, I, I wouldn't, it, wouldn't try it in the model, considering all the shit you've had with it already. But just get like a piece of PVC tube or something just to try it out. Well, I'm already at the point where this this version 2.0 is already a fail that I'm going to have to strip out once again. So at this point, it doesn't really matter what I do if it doesn't work; it's all coming out of there. And and, and the third the third try is is not is going to be just you know poke the nose of my airbrush in there and blow some lacquer inside it and move on because fuck you yeah i mean the whole point (laughs) the whole point of this of this fucking project was for it to be quick and relaxing and (laughs) (laughs) yeah there were two words that were never going to make that happen will and patterson Mm -hmm. yeah pretty much pretty much if if there's if there's a way to fuck it up i'm guaranteed to find it so a way to make it complicated yeah Mm -hmm. yep so that's me. That's my life right now. Good, good, good. Chris, working on the project well, you can't talk about. Yeah, all I can say is it's a massive conversion, and it's uh, it's like eighty percent scratch built. So that's why it's taking so long. And it's uh, yeah. I mean, I wish I could show people because I'm. It's probably the best scratch work I've ever done, and I'm absolutely loving it. But um, 
it's uh, it's for someone and they've stipulated that I can't show it, so I can't show it. But they have said when it's done, I can. So when I when it's done, I will. But it's between that and the podcast, I don't have any. Usually, I'd amuse myself by like breaking out a little out the box or something as a break while I'm doing it. But because I'm up against a deadline, I can't. I just need to finish this. So unfortunately, that's it. I got any. I bought some models. That's about it. What'd you buy? I bought a 132nd JU87A. Mm. Now, I know Stuka's like, you know, up there with the real vanilla subjects of modelling, up there with BF109s and um, B17s and stuff like that. But uh, it's got the spats, and you can't argue with spats. Spats are awesome. <laughs> I know a lot of people say cool. they're ugly. Those people are wrong. They are really <laughs> awesome. Uh, but also, I've got this great photo of one which has crashed vertically nose in the ground and it's just it's literally stood on its nose with two blokes stood in front of it and i just think um if i can work out a way to transport the massive great fucking thing it would make an amazing you know everyone else has got all their aircraft models put it in a competition all these nice parked aircraft models or like you know neatly done or maybe with hatches open and that and mine think nose first in the ground i just think it will really stand out on the show table it'd be like what the fuck is that so i just got i've got to do it for that and like we were saying when we were talking about aircraft dioramas this it's so hard to find an original way or an interesting way to display an aircraft and also will you'll definitely see the bottom on this one Nice. So yeah. is it the is it the trumpeter kit? Is that the only one in one thirty second? Only game in town. Yeah, it's got a few yeah. problems, but nothing I can't fix. Well, I don't know why you say it's vanilla, man. I, I I can't remember the last time I even saw one on on the on the old farce book. But look, Stukas, man, they those things got manky. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity there to do fun shit, especially when it lands on its nose. A lot mm-hmm. of broken shit. Yeah. Half the canopy line on the ground and stuff like that. So. And they are they are pretty cool looking. Yeah, and it addresses what we talked about before with, you know, finding creative solutions for aircraft dioramas where the aircraft doesn't dominate the the entire scene. Like, the, the, I know you know you shared the photo that you're talking about, and and the fact that everything you know it's nose down in the ground, so everything about the airplane leads you visually down to the two guys standing in front of it. So. It's, it's, it's already basically height. composed, you know? Yeah. It's, it's all the same with a diorama. Got to give it height. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, I might cut the ends off the wings because otherwise it's going to be way too big. I might wedgie it, but we'll see. Well, or the other thing I thought about was you could you could basically kind of tilt it a little bit where where one of the wings is touching the ground and the other one is, is up a little higher. That might occupy no, I, a little less space on a base. I love the fact it looks like it's a right, you know, like you could use a set square to, to do it. So I'm going to, uh, it's going to be bang vertical, just like the photo. Yeah. And there we go. So that's it. Um, that's about all I bought. Well, I, I bought a couple other things lately, but uh, I can't remember what they are, which was, you know, late night drunk shopping. So <laughs> <laughs> keep me off the internet after a beer. I've been good. I, I passed up on a couple of things recently. And I've told myself, like, okay, you finish, you finish a model, you can buy a model. Yeah, you, not that you have to build good, it. Good policy. Yeah, not that you have to build it. You can put it in the stash and pull one out of the stash. But you know, if you're gonna, you, maybe try to manage the stash and to a point where it doesn't get any bigger. One yeah, out, one in. Yeah, mine's a bit like my stomach in lockdown. It just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. <laughs> 
need to need to go on a stash diet. Yeah, I could probably stand up to, to weed through mine as well. Work through some of those plastic reserves. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you know, we uh, we've got Fabio Sacchi as our interview today, and he is a fantastic scratch builder, as as some people know, and other people will find out. So we were going to talk about uh, modeling fundamentals today. So what are the fundamentals of modeling? Let's have one each. Well, first of all, look, let's just say, let's just, let's just sort of set this up by saying that this conversation came about because of some stuff, you know, some debates and arguments about the basic modeling skills trope and all of the bullshit that goes along with that. And, and, but, you know, we agree that there is a conversation to be had about what constitutes uh, certain skills that we've decided to call fundamental skills because, frankly, calling them basic is just, you know, condescending, condescending and, yeah. sh- condescending uh, and uh, shitting. Uh, 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 I'm well, not sure way, I agree 100%, but we'll see how we go on. Well, the way people use basic modeling skills, they use it as a, you know... As oh, a the phrase is. The phrase yeah. is deep, yeah. The phrase. The phrase. Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. <laughs> Well, it's, a ga- it's a it's a gatekeeping right. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a gatekeeping well, well, thing. Well, we know it is because we've talked about this, haven't we, on a previous episode. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I, I think modeling fundamentals is a, is another, a, a, a better way to put it. It's the same meaning, but it doesn't have the same connotation that, that people can use against other modelers, you know. Um, but if I had to pick a, a modeling fundamental uh, that I think... is essential to moving on to the next stage of modeling or or is essential to master before you can really start patting yourself on the back too much. I don't, I don't know how to phrase (laughs) it, but um, uh, addressing seams, Uh, you know, addressing, you know, your, uh, your wing leading edge seams, your fuselage seams, your barrel seams on tanks, that's something that uh, that requires uh, time and effort and patience and asking other people for how they do it and X, Y, and Z. But it's something that you you can't have a seam showing in those areas, and then you know uh, I don't know move on to your weathering. Like it's just it's not something you can leave there and expect no one to see or call you out on. You know. I absolutely agree with that, but seems that's still that's still a kind of a general thing because, as we know, there's you know there's there's different skills and and different levels of decision making when it comes to seams. Like there's no you know like we know this. There's no one kind of seam, and there's no one way to deal with them. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the I think it was the leopard where. I used the the barrel from the kit and in order to, you know, once I sort of knocked down the the seam on the barrel, I was getting a ghost seam. And what I ended up doing was I went back and stretched some sprue real thin. And then I laid a layer of, of Tamiya Thin on the seam. And then I laid that stretch sprue on top of that uh, seam line and then put some more extra thin on there. And then used uh, yeah, a toothpick or something to to really, you know, mash it down and and get it in there, and let it alone, let it cure for 
two or three days and then came back and sanded it and that was the end of that ghost scene so there's there's multiple ways to do it uh, I've, I've used ca glue to moderate uh success but i i feel like ca glue takes more than one application usually um but it'd be cool to hear what you guys how you guys handle these little seams that pop up I think the easiest seam to deal with is the hairline seam where it's between two parts where you can get you can apply pressure easily because then all you've got to do is put it together liberally apply the old extra thin and squidge until the plastic kind of oozes a little and then leave it and that usually sets all right so that, you know. did you did you just say squidge yeah mm-hmm. squidge it together give it a <laughs> Just is watch that, it. Is that is that squeezing? Ooh, is that is that squeeze squeezing with a British accent? It's squeezing to produce ooze. That's squeezing. <laughs> okay, it, it, well, no, it, it's squeezing just a smidge. It's a squidge. Hey, it's, I'm the Englishman here. It's squeezing to produce ooze. <laughs> but you're just making shit up, so I can make shit up too. <laughs> I think we agree. It's a technical. That's term. the easiest one to deal with, uh, but it can be the hardest one to predict. So you have to assume it's going to happen and deal with it as you assemble, if you see what I mean. Because if you just slap two bits together and think, nah, it'll be all right, and then later you've got that hairline seam, you can't do that. Then you need to go in with some sort of filler or something to you know, to sort it out. So, Will, how do you deal with, with fuselage seams? What's your, your uh, preferred method? Well, my preferred method is not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Prevention is better than cure. It is. It is. And that, you know, and I say that tongue in cheek, but, but seriously, with all seams, my, my, I believe that the first and fundamental, you know, first fundamental thing is to not. Because um, as soon as you do, you, that's, that's when the, that's when the, the, the problems start. Now, obviously, you can't avoid it sometimes. You have to. Uh, but, but like, you know, you were just talking about the seam that you, that's, that's virtually eliminated by the squeegeeing technique. You know, that's the best kind, like the drop tanks on my, uh, on my Hornet are that way. Yeah. I think, uh, it's a really nice tight seam. And I believe that when I just go and, and, uh, very lightly run a blade o- across that to get rid of the squidge. And then do a little sanding that it may that it may be done. That, that would be great. That's my favorite kind. Uh, but then again, to get a joint like that, it requires a well-engineered kit and a clean mold because mm-hmm. you, you do get kits where, no matter how well you put them together, the edge, the mating edge of it is kind of rounded off. If you see what I mean, mm-hmm. where they yep, don't you make may, it completely may not, right. flat. Yeah, so you're going right. to get a bit it, of a it seam. May. Yeah, or you make it a step. That's like that's yeah. like one of the worst oh, ones. You know, you steps. you you line up everything and every, right. You line up everything. The bottom of the fuselage looks great. The rud of the, the vertical stabilizer looks great. The nose looks great, but in between the canop the cockpit and the tail, there's a step. I yeah. mean, you know, it's it's happened to all of us. And, 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 you know, and so again, but again, my, my first step is not to reach for filler. Uh, and I, and I cringe when I see a lot of guys who say, what do I do about this step? Or what do I do about this gap? And, and everybody's like, oh, well, this is the filler you need to use. And, and, and the, to me, that's just, that's the wrong answer. Don't Especially reach for the, 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but assuming that, I mean, look, dry fit, dry fit, dry fit, uh, you know, just figure out what the issue is really going to be. And then once you've committed to glue, start like a step, for example, I'm going to try and, and whittle that down and make the step go away before I reach for the filler. Yeah. Um, get the old uh, angle grinder out. And... There you go. Yeah, yeah. Right angle grinder for a four grit grinding wheel. Because I mean, look, the the less times you touch your model, the less chances there are for you to fuck it up. That's a hard fact. That's just true of life, you know. It is true. It is true, and and it and it's especially true of body work. So. You know, the fewer operations you can do and a little bit of analysis up front can often save you some of that down the road. Uh, so that's, you know, that's my first thing. Uh, We've all been there, haven't we? Where once you start mm-hmm. to chase a problem, you yeah, sort of abs- add another little problem as you go. And, and, yeah, and- yeah, there's a, yeah, ver, there's a German word for that, ver, mesh, ber, tongue, or some shit like that that basically translates to making shit ah. worse, <laughs> making shit worse when you were trying to make it better. Yeah. It's literally, it's a German word that's got about 22 letters in it, and I never Very can remember word. it. I never can remember it, but but yeah, and then once you've, once you've got the seam and you know you got to deal with it, then it's a decision tree uh, for me because engineer, right? We love decision trees. And the first question is, do I have to do any riveting or rescribing? And, and if the answer is yes, then it's sprue goo. It's not even a question because nothing nothing scribes and rivets like polystyrene. Uh, for, the, for the benefit of someone who might not know what the hell sprue goo is, would you explain what sprue goo is? So uh, that is uh, just take uh, an empty Tamiya extra thin bottle or one that's about half full and start chopping up little chunks of sprue in it and, and let it dissolve uh, for it typically takes three or four days to get your mix going and just reduce it keep adding extra thin or sprue until it comes out of the of the bottle on the brush at about the same consistency as honey it thickens up really quick once you take it out of the bottle so you don't have to worry about it being too thin and you don't want it to be stringy that's 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 too thick. Anyway, it welds itself to the model because it's the base material. It's got extra thin there. It welds itself in there, and it's essentially native plastic. And so it's going to behave the same way when you start working on it. Does it shrink? Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the one of the things that people complain about with Sprugu is that um, that that it has a tendency to to sort of shrink into the gap because the the extra thin evaporates. Um, and, and and that's a thing, and so you you often may find yourself doing multiple applications. You always want to use the minimum amount possible. Most of the problems that I see, so don't pack loads on and then right sand yeah. back. Yeah. yeah, most of the problems that I see with sprugu is because they just were used way too much. Like I typically I have like you know junky old number one or number zero paintbrushes that I use to apply sprugu the smallest amount possible because you can clean the brush with extra thin when you're done and uh, you know that and when you apply a really small amount the shrinkage issues are are less and it'll be ready to work by the next day uh, at most it does not take forever 
like a lot of people, you know, think it does. It just don't use too much. One more question for those who are going to try this science experiment at home. Um, <laughs> as you're adding the the chopped up bits of sprue, are you stirring it occasionally? Are you shaking it? Or does it kind of do its thing on its own? It'll kind of do its thing on its own. What I do is when I'm making a new bottle of it is I just dump the, the bits of sprue in there. And I, and I want to add, use good quality sprue. Use hard sprue like Hasegawa or, or Tamiya. Don't use evergreen or plastruct or whatever because here's the rule with polystyrene. The softer it is, the less pure it is. Pure styrene is clear and, as we know, very brittle. And in fact, my best batch of sprue goo ever, I made with clear Hasegawa sprue. And I, and I put a little bit of red MRP in it so that I can see it when I apply it to the model. But what I do is I just tilt the bottle over on its side, you know, at a 45 degree angle and leave it there till the next day, come back, look at it and then turn it and leave, you know, and I'll do that like for three or four days until it's got itself to where it needs to be. And then I'll decide if it needs to be thinner or thicker and I'll adjust it. And once you got a bottle, it's, it's like sourdough starter, right, Tracy? Once you got some, it's good forever. Good for a long time. Yeah. Except you don't. It's probably a good idea to open a window when you're using this stuff. The sourdough. I think it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. That is that is definitely true. But but once you got a good batch of sprugu, man, it'll it'll last you for a long time. You might need to you know add a little extra thin to it. You have to refresh that tree with the blood of extra thin from mm-hmm. time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, but it's uh, it's my favorite. It's my favorite filler because, again, it works just like the base material, which you cannot say of any other filler at all, period, end of. All right, Will, what's your, what's your modeling fundamental? Easy, sanding, 100%. Um, I, I, I feel like <laughs> I, I, like I saw somebody say one day, well, you know, calling sanding a skill is, is dumb, and I'm like, only if you don't understand sanding. Um, I take I mean, absolute joy and pride in sanding, and there is a skill to it for sure. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and it and it's a two part skill. One part is obviously the actual doing of the sanding. Um, you know, following some rules like as you you know do do a good grit progression. Don't you know? Don't skip. Don't think. Oh, I'm going to go from six hundred to fifteen hundred because I'm in a hurry. Don't do that because you're going to have scratches from the 600 that the 1500 is not going to remove. And you might not see them until it's too late. Uh, And the other thing is changing directions. You know, do your 600 uh, in one direction. Then when you jump up to your 800, go 90 degrees if you can. I mean, obviously, not every situation is going to make it easy to follow these rules, but that should be your goal. Those, those rules exist for a reason. That's thousands and thousands of craftsman man years uh, going into um, you know making those rules, if you will. Um, the other th- the other sanding skill that a lot of people really oh, I think don't get is that not not all abrasives are created equal. I mean. Just because you got two different abrasives that both say 1200 grit does not mean you're going to get the same result. 
And, and a lot of it, I mean, part of it is we, you know, there's different grit standards, like the one in Japan is different from the American standard, which is different from the European standard. They're pretty close. It just varies manufacturer to manufacturer. And yeah, but it, right. It, it, it's a matter of, of, of uh, the quality of the abrasives themselves and, and how well the, the manufacturer is, uh, is sieving the, the grits. For consistency, like Infini, I, I know people think I collect a paycheck from Infini, but I, it's just good shit. Like they really do a good job with their quality control and their abrasives are really consistent. And you don't find that you're just going along and all of a sudden you get a giant gouge because of a stray grain of, you know, whatever. So, you know, buy good quality abrasives and understand that the backing has a tremendous effect on how it performs. Okay, like what I mean is a 400 grit sanding sponge is going to behave very differently from a 400 grit sanding stick is going to behave very differently from a piece of 400 grit paper on the end of your finger. And each has its place according to what you're trying to do. Yeah, like I was going like, to say get different, get a variety. Don't think, just get a pack of sanding sponges. 100%. I, 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 yeah. Different tools for different jobs. Exactly. I have drawers full of sanding shit because different situations require a different touch. Like for example, okay, let's say that you, you shoot a coat of, of whatever on your model and it's got orange peel. All right. And you want to sand the orange peel out. If you come at that thing with a sponge, you're going to have a bad time because the fundamental thing is that the sponge is going to follow the contour, even as microscopic as it may be. You're going to sand and sand and sand, and you're going to get clear down to the plastic before you get rid of the orange peel. Whereas, if you take a piece of sandpaper on the end of your finger, it doesn't conform to those little you know, hills and valleys, and you'll level out that orange peel very quickly, especially if you wet sand. So, I think it's important. It really, I mean, if you really want to get first-class results with your paint finish, and especially if you're going to do any kind of polishing, it really is all about the sanding. It really is a, a, a nuanced thing. It's not as simple as just, oh, you know, I'm going to get a sanding stick. Um, and, and I think uh, a lot of modelers would benefit from paying more attention to that aspect of the fundamentals. I should say, if you're going to sand a lot as well, which I do, because when I'm scratch building, I give it a coat of Mr. Surface to find the lumps and bumps so I can sand mm-hmm. it. Um, again, use a bit of health and safety. A bit of wet sanding keeps the dust down. Wear a mask because a lot of it produces very fine particulate matter which will irritate if not damage your lungs. So, uh, you know, if you're going to do a lot, then then wear precautions. If you're just sanding a seam on a kit, I think you'll be all right. <laughs> but if, if it's if it's a heavy-duty sanding job, then then look after yourself. Yeah, I mean, a little safety never hurts. Uh, I mean, I don't think any of us are in danger of of dying from from sanding dust exposure, but you know, it, a little safety never hurts. I mean, make yourself feel good on that score. It can make you uncomfortable, though. It can give you a bad cough if you you know if you do too much mm-hmm. and you breathe it all in, which I've done. So you know, voice of experience. And different people are have have different sensitivities for sure. So it's yeah, something yeah, to, yeah. Some, not something to just to you know to, to just ignore to, for sure. You don't have to wear a full respirator, just like a you know <laughs> a COVID mask will probably do the job. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get get you one of those uh, things that get, that Alex Steele wears when he's doing his grinding. You know, it's got a, a full 
head cover and a and a and an air pump that he wears on his belt and it keeps positive pressure inside the mask and, yeah yeah I, yeah I don't think you have to you know put on a scuba rig and get in a get in a dive tank to do all your finishing work to keep yourself from growing a third I think nipple. everyone should because I don't want to be sued <laughs> we said don't fucking worry about it <laughs> not what we're saying not what we're saying <laughs> take sensible precautions but don't shit yourself what about you Mettings? what's what's your what's your number one fundamental preparation 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 99% of the problems I think we've already said it really but 99% of the problems are down to uh, failure to take it slow and to prepare everything you're doing. So, like you said earlier, test fit everything. I do that, but also I uh, like to think ahead of what's going to happen next and what's going to happen next. So that you don't always necessarily follow the instructions, but you follow... Like, I never put small parts on until the very last stage of a build. If I could, Unless they're structural and you have to, or you can't get to it later. I leave everything off, all the PE and everything, because I've got fat fucking fingers, and I'll knock them off. And then once you knock them off, putting it back on, you're getting glue marks everywhere, and you lose bits and all this shit. So prepare for everything and think it through before you do it, and take your time. And then 99% of the problems don't come up. Yeah, amen to all that. Yeah, I think patience is is a a modeling virtue. You know, none of these products our, our uh, skill set in a bottle or, or magic potions. It all takes time. It all takes patience. Uh, sometimes it takes addressing the same problem multiple times and just try not to get frustrated about that. It's just part of the game. Also learn from your mistakes. If something does go wrong, analyze why it went wrong. Like uh, I'm, well, not the thing I'm I'm doing for the, the special project at the moment, but I've also got another long-term project, which is, um, a really kind friend in Japan sent me a one two hundred Nichimo Japanese destroyer, and they're like hen's teeth. They're really expensive, so it was really kind of him to find me one and help me out. And I put it together, and I'm looking at it the other day because I was fiddling with it while I was waiting for something to dry on the uh, the big project. And I noticed the hole was twisted, and I should have prepared for that because I was scratch building one before, and the hole. It's something that happens with long ship models if you're not careful. The stern twists ever so slightly and you don't notice it till later on and it's not true. And if you prepare for that and if you brace it and you do other things, you can stop it happening, but I didn't think about it. And now I've got a problem that's 10 times harder to unfuck and I should have mm-hmm. known it because I'd had that mistake before, that 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 uh, problem before. So when something goes wrong, work out why it went wrong and remember it and then you know, you're better armed for next time and you can address it before it happens. Well, and just spending some time, just uh, like uh, I know this, this is not necessarily the same as preparation, but I think it's part of it is just spending some time just studying things. You know, put your put your optimizer on, tape the parts together. You know, apply a little pressure here. That's like the yeah. key part of preparation. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent together. Yeah, totally. But but to just to just spend a little extra time just sitting there inspecting it because I I know we all want to get the glue out, we want to get busy, we want to start putting shit together, uh, and and you know, but but that's that's where it starts and and inspection and learning to see and analyze interferences 
and and sort of figure out the chain of interferences like the this chain part of causation the chain of causation whatever you want to call it you know this part is hitting a little weird here and that's affecting this thing over there and that's going to cause me this kind of problem when i get to it just you know again just spending time sort of looking at it and understanding that can save you a lot of hassles especially because a lot of problems when they come up might be a, as a result of a slight misalignment 10 steps back that mm-hmm. is very hard saying, to undo because yeah. of other things yeah so if you, you had if spend time making sure everything's correct when you do it and then you won't hopefully won't run into those issues later on unless it's just a badly designed kit it can happen don't beat yourself up you know but analyze it and work out why it happened sometimes Absolutely. badly designed kits are, are the ones where you learn the most anyway because you actually yeah. have to solve so many fucking problems that's the ones that polish your fundamental modeling skill. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean it makes them more valuable in a way because that's the other thing with these guys with their basic modeling skills trope. They want you to build 40-year-old frog kits because they make a man out of you. And it's like, yeah, well, whatever. fuck that. I like kits that don't give me any trouble as well, you know. But it's not just it's not just these old kits or these shitty kits. Like this Ming Hornet, for example, is a... This is a perfect example. This thing fits together beautifully. The engineering is really good. I'm impressed. Uh, but there are places where they have had to put some joints that are just simply unavoidable. Like the area under the leading edge extension. Kind of thing, yeah. Exactly. You, I mean, you either make it in one fucking piece or you got to put some joints in there. And... Like the the there's a seam under the leading edge extension that people have been talking about, where basically the bottom half of the fuselage joins the top half of the fuselage, and it's a long joint. It's like maybe three inches long, and there's a couple of places where some actual panel lines run across it, and 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 that joint is uh, absolutely not supposed to be there in any way, shape, or form on the finished product. So if you care about that, you're going to have to fill it. Yeah. And, and, and it, it did, I mean, it doesn't matter that it's a really nice joint. It's there. You got to deal with it. And, and, you know, this is a kit that was tooled in 2020. So, and this also gets into why, why I have such an issue with, with like who gets to decide what's basic so-called because yeah, fill in that joint on the surface is just a filling and sanding problem. But you also have the issue of, of how to reinstate the detail that crosses it, um, how to make it, you know, perfectly flat and level when you're done, how not to, you know, get into surrounding stuff while you're doing it. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's just, just because it's just sanding, so to speak. That doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It's not simple. It's Right, right. And that's why, you know, again, when people go on about this basic thing, I'm like, okay, well, there's plenty of situations where what you might call a basic or a fundamental skill is actually very difficult to pull off well. (laughs) Tracy's over there like, like, yeah, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, listen, dear listener, I don't have video today, so I'm not seeing people's brilliant faces. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for everybody that doesn't know, yeah, Chris is having technology issues, so we can't see him. It's kind of a relief, actually. Oh, you can't see me? Oh, damn it, I'm looking at faces and shit. (laughs) 
I don't know, Tracy, do you disagree? Am I full of shit? What do you, you know? No, no, you're not. I just, I just think, you know, it's, yeah, it's fundamental stuff and and we all have to get good at it, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, that it's guaranteed to to be easy uh, when you get to it. No, and even if 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 you have the the skills to pay the bills, so to speak, you're going to run into situations like that where it's it's in an inconvenient place. It requires reinstating a lot of detail. It requires a lot more than just the fundamental uh, filling and sanding skills that you have. It's you know modeling is always going to present you with a challenge, even in areas where you think you've you've sort of got it beat. Thank um, fuck, right? I mean, why would we bother if it didn't? Look, model making is is a really unique thing. Like i've I've done I've done a lot of craftsman shit in my life. I grew up welding, doing steel fabrication. I've done a lot of painting. I've done carpentry. I've done some very amateur level woodworking. Model making is a weird deal because it combines so many different skills into one thing, right? I mean, that's that that that's 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 one of the challenges that makes model making fun. But also difficult because you, you got a bunch of different things that you kind of have to get a handle on to be good at it. I mean, what I was thinking mm-hmm. is like it. I think that it requires a lot of common sense. I think the more common sense you have, the less you struggle with some things. Uh, but I don't know that that's true. I'm just, you know, your analogy where you're talking about all of these other you know, the, the combination of, of skills that other hobbies or, or pursuits require. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of got sidetracked on that by thinking. That I'm full of shit. <laughs> no, actually, no, no. But just thinking about how how many people who have hobbies that are different from ours still pursue challenges. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's one of the things that that makes this hobby great is there's always a challenge out there for you no matter what your skill level is. You know, like if you've got the skills with your hands where some fundamentals are not issues, then the next problem that you might tackle are you know scratch building. You know where you're where you're working from plans or maybe it's. Um, it's a real cerebral challenge where you're trying to compose a diorama uh, and I don't know. It's just, it is a unique hobby. I was thinking about how unique it is in a different way than the way you were thinking of, I guess. Well, I mean, just, just think like, okay, so we're talking about fitment. Okay. That's a, that's a thing. That's a skill getting good at getting it. And I can tell you from, from, from working in a machine shop that just getting parts to fit together is its own skill. Um, sanding and, and doing all that basic body work, that's a skill. Anybody who you know works in an auto body shop will tell you that. Uh, painting, definitely its own skill. Applying decals is, is a skill. I mean, there's all these different things that you kind of have to bring together. And I, and I think in some ways that makes model making, from a craftsmanship standpoint, one of the more challenging things to be good at. I think for me, the, the biggest fundamental modeling skill that covers all of them covers everything you do is um, I don't want to really call it perfectionism but don't settle for shit so make sure that the paint that the surface you've got when you finish and you're ready for paint is 
perfectly smooth and ready for paint and there's not going to be any scratches that show up and stuff like that and it's just you have to train your eye to be very critical and make sure parts are properly aligned and parts are properly filled and all this stuff you have to train your eye to be a very critical eye to see that it is all perfect and ready for paint absolutely and when you painted that the the surface you put on is is a good smooth level of uh, layer of paint so it's funny, we're coming back and we're touching on points that we've covered in different conversations before. I mean, you have to be willing to, if you don't have a critical eye or if you want if you want even better than your own critical eye, put it online and ask for people to take a look at it. Yeah. You know, ask for critique and that's when other eyes are going to see things that you maybe miss. And again, that comes back to us talking about being willing to accept critique, being willing to look at what someone is saying might be a problem and uh you know decide for yourself if it's if they're right and then how to address that and then you know you've got skills that you need to be developing to address those things if you didn't get it right the first time you're going to get it right the second time or the third time just the same way with scratch building you know you're going to build that part three times because you're going to drop the first one yeah. Or it's going to be overscale, you know. Like we're we're touching back on all of these things that we've, or we're actually combining all the things that we touched on before into a conversation about, uh, you know, the fundamentals of modeling. So, but but let's let's get specific on a couple of points because because you're absolutely right. And, and but but there's a couple of things where, like, it can be super super valuable. And is because there are some issues that are that are really purely objective, right? I mean, like, oh, I think that exhaust stain is too dark, or I think your German your Panzer gray is too blue, or whatever. That's subjective, right? right. Well, I mean, okay. let's just just but, talk about construction, you know? Right, but but that's the right construction stuff. Uh, there there are things that are purely objective because it's either look, it's either there or it's not. So if you post your thing and somebody says, "Hey, man, what's going on with that?" With, with that uh, joint in front of the windscreen. Like this happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, somebody posted a really nice Corsair, done a lot of beautiful work on it. But when I looked at those pictures, the first thing I noticed was that there was a joint in front of the windscreen. And so I just asked, I'm like, hey, because I'm not, I, I don't know enough about Corsairs. I don't know if there's supposed to be a panel line there. I said, hey, man, what's going on with that? And sure enough, he had a, he had a bit of a joint, a seam, a ghost seam, if you want to call it that. And, uh, He's, I had mad respect for him because he sanded that paint off. He fixed that shit and, uh, and he made it right. Uh, texture, you know, this is a thing with paint. Um, if somebody says, hey, man, you know, your thing looks pretty good, but you got a lot of texture in that paint. The correct response is, oh, wow, let me get out a magnifier and some strong light and look at that. Uh, because... Uh, and this is, uh, you know, this this may make some guys mad, but you just may not be able to see well enough to see the texture. Because I, I see guys say it, oh, well, I assure you, there's no texture there. It doesn't show up in real life. And I'm like, sorry, bud, camera doesn't lie. Yeah, camera doesn't lie. The camera is <laughs> it's, unflinching. Yeah, it's, None of us are looking there. at it in real life. So, you know, right. <laughs> we're all looking right. at it it's, in photos. We're we're looking at close up photos and the orange peel or the grit or whatever it's there, and it, you know if you care about that level of craftsmanship, just accept that maybe you can't see it, and so then figure out okay do I care 
if I can't see it, I don't care. I don't have to care, right? Well, and maybe that, and that's fine. You, but just don't, you know, don't give that bullshit. Oh no, it's not there really. No, no, no. That's that's totally fine. That's totally fine. Uh, everybody has their threshold. Uh, but if you do care, then figure out. Okay, what do I have to do? Do I don't, you know, maybe like me, I had to figure. I had to accept at a certain point that I needed, I needed to wear a magnifier. I needed to use reading glasses um, to be able to see all that shit. And 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 you know, and then think about okay. If if I want if I, if I care and I and I and, and I want to see this stuff, then what do I do to make it better? Uh, that's but all. it's also okay to be really frustrated to get that model to a point and put it online and have somebody be like, "What's up with that scene?" or "What's up?" With that Absolutely, texture? you can yeah. you can be like, "Fuck, fuck! I didn't see that until you saw it, and I thought I was done, and I'm really frustrated that I have this decision to make." It's it's okay to be frustrated about that. I mean, I I went totally. through that recently, but and it's your decision to make because you get to a certain point with a model if you think it's finished, and to go back and have to do anything else is absolutely horrible. It's just like mm-hmm. God damn it, I was done. This thing was like <laughs> I cleared off space in the display case for it, like it was done. <laughs> And to have to go back and like do anything on it is just like what a bunch of horse shit. Fucks have expired. Oh, bye bye. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. sucks, and I, I totally relate. I, I, honestly, I'm the worst. I don't know of anybody, and I don't. I, I don't think this is unfair. I don't know of anybody whose work go, undergoes as much scrutiny as mine does. Because I'm posting work in process shit in SMCG all the time, and I encourage people to call me out on that shit because you know. Can't be a hypocrite, and and yet when somebody does spot something, I have an automatic like, oh fuck that, that can't be right, you know. But <laughs> you know you can't help that. That's human. Yeah. But you know, then you go back and you look and you go, you know what? That's right, and I guess I better fix it. Or you don't. Or you don't. Yeah. Or you fix it on the next one. You know. <laughs> right. All right, that's all the time we've got to discuss fundamentals this time. Anyone got any final short advice for the listeners about modeling fundamentals? I want to add one thing to my sanding speech. One of my one of the game changers for me, and this goes back to Tracy talking about common sense, because when I say this now, it seems like, duh, why wouldn't you have done that before? Get yourself some, like, the Infini sanding sponge. Or Tamiya sanding sponge. It's also really good. Um, and get yourself a set of gripper tweezers with a little angle tip on the end. And use, you know, cut yourself little chunks, like little rectangular chunks of sanding sponge. Because when you put that in those gripper tweezers, it will change your sanding life. You'll It'll be like the Hallelujah Choir is singing. Because now... All those weird places that you couldn't get to with a sanding stick or your finger or whatever suddenly become just like, yeah, ho-hum, super easy. Next. So that's my one thing I wanted to add. What I would add to that as my little short thing is don't forget to use, when you've got like the system of sanding sticks or sanding sponges or whatever, don't forget to use the highest grade polishing ones just to finish it off. Yeah, just to get it nice and clean, ready for for the paint later. Tracy, I think the one thing I would add is, you know, my comment about common sense 
The beauty of common sense is you can acquire it little by little. Um, this is not that common, according to everyone. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's not, but you know, critical thinking is is helpful in modeling, and I think yeah, as you as you acquire these skills, they don't go away. You know, you're you're accumulating things that don't go away once you have them. Um, Actually, so, they only increase, don't they? They only improve. Yeah, yeah. You're adding to your your virtual toolbox, you know, and knowing when to use the particular tool or skill set is important. But I also, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again, you know, take the time to enjoy the plateaus that you hit. Like when you're, if you've been struggling with seam lines and any of the advice that we've given or, or any of the hard work that you're putting into your model results in you kind of conquering a problem area of a model, then take the time to really just be happy about that. Like this is, this is a hobby that should be enjoyable and, and make you happy. And, you know, just don't, don't overlook that. Take the time to, to be pleased with your own work. Uh, finally, if you're having a problem with a fundamental modeling skill, don't be embarrassed. You know, everyone has a problem with these now and again. If, you, if you're having struggling with it, you're not getting the kind of advice you want, you can always write in and we'll do our best as well to tell you what we do. Or, uh, or go on one of the many good modeling groups out there and just ask. There are no stupid questions, only stupid answers. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask. And, you know, you're going to get a variety of answers, uh, but that'll give you some choices to, to, you know, more than one. Solution. There's another fundamental modeling skill learning who are the idiots and who can help and ignoring yeah. the former and listening to the latter. Yeah. Now that that was something I wasn't actually going to come out and say about going onto a forum and asking for advice, but yeah, you, you do have to sift through that and and take the advice that makes the most sense to you. And never or, ask which is the best airbrush because everyone will no. just tell you the airbrush they've got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, talking of fundamental modeling skills, our interview today is with Fabio Sacchi, uh, Italian scratch builder extraordinaire. He's done masters in the past. For Historica, he's done all kinds of award-winning models, and he's just a super nice guy. And he's going to tell us all about his uh, modeling skills and his modeling life coming up after this. What's up, gangsters? If you're a model maker, you need stuff, right? Paint, tools, brushes, kits, books. It sometimes seems like the list is endless. My favorite place to buy stuff is Hobby World USA. Matt Bowl is the owner, and not only is he an all-around good guy, but he's a model maker, and he knows what kind of stuff we need. And for those of you who have already been Hobby World customers, you'll be happy to know that he's recently redesigned the site. He's made it a lot easier to search for all the stuff, find the stuff, and buy the stuff. So get yourself on over to hobbyworld-usa.com for all of your model-making stuff. Tetra Model Works are a leading producer of premium photo etched sets for all kinds of modeling genres. From armor to ships to aircraft and more, they make some of the best PE you can buy. And I know because I use it myself. I love it so much I even sell it in my own store. The design is outstanding, sharp and clean detail, well-designed folds and easily constructed assemblies. 
Easy to use, their high quality brass is just the right thickness and strong so it won't break on you. Their sets provide the maximum of detail but never with parts you don't need or can't use. Instructions are clear and very easy to follow. Sold in hobby stores around the world, just look for Tetra Model for the very best in photo etch and accessories. You can find a full list of their distributors at tetramodel.com. That's tetra, T-E-T-R-A, model.com. Uh, where should we start? Why don't you tell us a bit about your background in modeling, Fabio? Oh, yeah. Uh, background in modeling, uh, being 56 years old, I, I, I think that most of our age people, we started, I started with the, the Airfix uh, small plastic bag of material, building up stuff. And, uh, well, then, you know, it was pretty an average model, uh, nothing, you know, very serious, but then, Around uh, 14 years old, I found out uh, the amenities than uh, models. And, uh, but I was back, back in modeling around uh, 28, 29. And, uh, but by there, uh, I started making a little bit more serious. So, started working on the thing. And I think that the, the scratch building uh, started with a friend of mine who was a quite good scratch builder. I think he, he was really my mentor in understanding the techniques uh, or, uh, pushing me on where to make the things different or what could be done in a different way, subject. And, uh, uh, you know, in, in, if you, maybe you, you can't believe, but everything started on watching a, um, a trailer of uh, an historical uh, Italian journal of war, where practically you saw during the Libyan campaign, the North African campaign, and uh, it was uh, uh, like a Dovunque 35, which is an Italian off-road truck, small light truck, um, with uh, a Breda 20 on the top and uh, a Libyan soldiers just like this in, in the desert, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this image was flashing me, so I said, I need to make it. But, uh, you know, it's as, as today because there is no Dovunque 35 kit anyway, so... The only thing I had was, uh, you know, I, my wish to make it happen. And my friend said, okay, you want to do it? He had the drawings, original drawings of Spa. And uh, this is the same drawings uh, on 135. This is, uh, you know, the material, you know, spruce and everything. And then make it. So that's what I started. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, very ambitious. Uh, we are we're speaking about around uh, 92, 94, more or less. And uh, suddenly, I can say that, that the Vuco 35 took me four months and it was done with a lot of errors, a lot of things. But, you know, it was just a kind of starting. And from there, then, uh, you know, we said, okay, what we do another thing? What we do another one? And actually, it was mainly focused on Italian subject because at those times there was nothing. So uh, everything you want to do, you have to scratch. So and then when I started uh, to be approached by a, a somebody who became quite a good friend, which was a guy called probably I don't know if you guys have heard in the past of a, a cottage industry historical production in Italian. Yeah. Well, actually, 
it ended up that seventy uh, percent of the model of historic production was my master part. Ah, so I have I have quite a few of those in my in my stack. Really? So now yeah. you now you know who to blame. <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't fit, then the other fan. Come here and make this yeah. fit. <laughs> and uh, frankly, uh, yeah, it was fun because uh, it was quite uh, intriguing seeing uh, your, your what you were building on uh, became becoming a, a model. And uh, Chris, I think you, you you share those kind of feelings. And the fact that people is yeah. uh, willing to pay money to buy what you did, it's, it's a kind of uh, satisfaction. Mm. It's not for the money themselves. It's just say, oh, wow, so I made something unique. You, the best you can do for the money is to not make too big a loss, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say. Everyone thinks everyone does it for the say. money. It's like, no, you do it because you love but, the stuff. You know? And then we started. But that was a great, uh, I would say, I did it for probably five years. And... Um, I have to say that it was a great uh, training because uh, building a master pattern is a completely different process than just scratch building. Because while you build a part, you need to, to figure out how to de detach the parts in order that it can be cast and then it can be built. So it's, and yeah. it, it's a quite a different approach, but it gives you somehow the, the, mental um, elasticity to plan what to do and i think that when we went to the scratch building i think that the best thing is you have in your mind you need to have a kind of uh, like the software you need to have the part as it should become so you have already clear what you want to think and then mentally you need to explode everything in the unique part that you need to build to make the whole part together. And uh, this is this is the fun part, to find out the way how you make, for example, how to replicate a radiator or repli uh, replicate a transmission or replicate a cab. Uh, that's really the, the, the fun out of it. I think a painting is uh, just a hurt. <laughs> it's, Building and making the things the, 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 the nice and the fun. So overall, that's uh, my story in a few minutes. Um, still building. Uh, my problem is that I'm long. I think uh, platypus is really nothing for me. Uh, so take years sometimes. Actually, the um, the uh, auto cannon that uh, Tracy you were mentioning before, considering that. Uh, my, I, I remember pretty well. My wife was pregnant of our child when I started that uh, the track. I finished last year. My my son now is twenty three years old. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I've been drinking with him. In Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's uh, that was probably a year life kind of activity. But uh, uh, I made a lot of stuff, and the problem is that I'm not able to to tackle a box. And build out of the box. That's that's my curse. Every box I touch, I need to find something different or improving. You know. Then, for example, from the Tacom and uh, 3D, which I converted in a kangaroo, uh, 
which is a completely different stuff. Scratch building, for example, all this cast stuff was quite uh, substantially fun. Um, and then I work at that, by the way, I work at quite uh, with a good friend, uh, the first owner of formations. So I made a couple of uh, master pattern for them. So the M3 A1 conversion of mass of formations is my baby. The uh, the turret of the uh, of the um, uh, jumbo uh, M4 for the formation is my baby. Uh, a couple of uh, upper hole for M1 direct uh, direct vision M4 direct vision are my baby. So. <laughs> Quite a lot of stuff here and there, and uh, all scratch. But I feel like a dinosaur in those days, frankly. Seeing people with uh, new programs and 3D can make wonders. Is 3D something you're not interested in yourself? Not really. Um, <laughs> I think it, you need to have a greater skill. I, frankly, I have friends I don't see as a, as a threat or personally because... It's just fun for me, so it's not a threat to me at all. I see it as a good compliment. Um, there are parts of that in 3D you get much better results if you have someone who can model it in the right way. Luckily, I have friends who is modeling correctly, but modeling something on a PC, it's quite different than building with your hands and with your brain something. And uh, nothing against. I think that uh, is. Fantastic is people have fun in modeling 3D and printing the stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them if they get fun out of it. I, I simply don't get fun out of it. I prefer to use the, the, the material and bend the, the stuff and try to make what you want uh, with your hands. I don't know. I'm an old guy. It's a different, different skill set, right? I think uh, it's, uh, it's a different technique. Uh, what you have here your brain on how you to assemble the part, disassemble and everything. The mental process is fairly similar. I've been, you know, I have a friend who is doing 3D uh, modeling and the way, um, the process to achieve the parts or the, the composition of the part of the, of the split to, to make it hit is very similar. The, uh, the way you, you reach it is different. So on one side, you need to build yourself the part with finding out the different materials, which is the most suitable or the more flexible or whatever. With 3D, you just have uh, the best uh, program, uh, finding the right radius and everything. So it's quite a, a, um, a different technique. But uh, in terms of mental process, I, I, found, I find a lot of uh, commonalities on it. Yeah, I think the mental process yeah. must be very similar to breaking down things in your mind that you know you're going to build out of plastic and breaking down things in your mind that you're going to go to the computer to build. Yeah, is is that. When we interviewed David Parker, he said it was the, the same thought process, but I don't know how I can define it, but for me it is different. Don't you get a, a physical satisfaction out of building with your hands? Like there's there's that satisfaction of... of cutting parts and shaping parts and, and assembling them into what you're doing that is is just, it's got to be a different sort of satisfaction than assembling everything on a screen and having it print out and fit together. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, something. Um, 3D, uh, but I, I think it's, it's also a matter of generational 
different skill sets. Yeah, I think so. It's not only it's not only about it. Is you know, um, people. Some we are digitally uh, enforced somehow. Um, I think people which are ten or fifteen years old, younger than us, they are digital native almost. Yeah. And therefore, um, the way that they are managing the uh, you know the uh, the digital stuff are uh, different from what we perceive in, in a certain sense. So we use it because we have to, and it's part of our tool set. They use it because they it's part of their life. I don't know yourself, but I don't find the mobile phone or the PC part of my life. It's just a tool I have to use, and because everybody's using it, but I can live without it. And you know the satisfaction I have in finding the right material, choosing the right way, uh, make mistakes, <laughs> learning from that, repeat the part. Um, it's something that uh, is part of my uh, all the fun. And that's, by the way, one of the reasons why certain moment in time I said stop making massive patterns because it was becoming like a kind of uh, uh, work. It was not fun anymore. You had to build something, mm. be make it as simple as possible, and make it as quick as possible. So this that's not fun. Yeah. Uh, so recently we did uh, this uh, this fun game with uh, Fabio. You've seen I don't know if you've seen the kangaroos of HD yeah. model. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that was that was a fun, it is actually a fun project. So I decided I said okay. Uh, am I able to cast my own parts? Question. So I built, I, I bought myself uh, a uh, pressure chamber. I bought, uh, had already my vacuum machine so simply because uh, you replicate your own part when you need. And uh, I said, well, let's make it this way. I build the part. Most of them are scratched. The hole is complete scratch, by the way, with uh, um, epoxy potty. So the whole is all epoxy put is scratched. Wow. Uh, yes. That's a lot of putty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, with some frame uh, to keep it all together, but everything is done with uh, epoxy, with some parts merged in, but overall is epoxy putty. And I said, okay, I make the part, I cast, and I build. So I'm building my own cast. And then Fabio entered the game and said, well, why, you have already the, all the, all the molds done. Why we don't make a, a go? So we were able to uh, take away 30 uh, additional pieces. We said, we will never sell it. <laughs> <laughs> they went, they went sold out in six hours. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. You posted that you were down to your last maybe six. And I shared it on the Sprue Cutters Union page just to make sure that everybody who wanted one got an opportunity to get one. I'm sure that there are people out there who didn't, uh, didn't get it, but uh, I know Chris is over there. And now (laughs) I'm sort of looking at it being like, well, shit, I would have built that too. You lose, you lose. (laughs) Yeah. Frankly, frankly, it was completely out of mind. There was no no marketing at all. It was just the fun. Say, okay, let's see how well we do and actually, it was one o'clock in the morning in Italy, on Saturday morning, and uh, I, he called me. It was around seven thirty. I was driving my car on Saturday morning, going to uh, to friend in the morning, and he said, "Fabio, 
everything is sold out. We don't have any more money. So are you kidding? <laughs> Come on. And he said, no, it's done. And I have people now begging me to, to make more. So, oh, shit. We are now in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for, uh, for the French. That's, um, oh, no, this show is, this show is fucking blue. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's, that's the fun. That's the fun about it. And it's, as, as long as it's fun, I'm fine. It's not about anything more. <laughs> That's money. usually when I say to myself, if the people... did I charge enough? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, honestly, if people that will... Uh, actually, everything is ready. We're just waiting for the decal. As the decal is in, they will be then shipped. Um, uh, it's doing that. Uh, it's not my business. It's not my business by, 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 the, by, the, yeah. by any problem. But... Uh, your bit stuff. If, if the people that will buy it and they find it fun to build, um, I would be very happy because that was a fun project for us. And if somebody building it will have fun, that would be really the best thing we can we can expect. Everyone. Um, but that's about the you know scratch building. Is you know it's a nice stuff, but it's a cursing in one sense because then it's very hard to. Says it before, it's very hard to go back and build. A, a model from the box. I've not been able in my past couple of years. No way. Well, is there anything <laughs> that comes in a box that you're actually interested in building? I mean, your your subject choices are are esoteric, you know, uh, and they're they're always something that's that's not out there in any kind of a kit form. So I just uh, I'm doing also something which is already there, but. Uh, um, uh, somebody called me an extreme river counter. Yes, I am. I'm def a definite river counter. So I like pieces done in the right way, with the right dimension, with the right detail. Um, and, uh, so for example, if you take the M18, uh, that probably, I don't know if you have, uh, you've seen it, the, uh, the Hellcat out of the, uh, AV club, it was completely scratched. The, I'm, I'm there ready to paint, which is my pain. So it's not, I'm not painting, I'm painting. <laughs> In reality, I, I hate to paint. You do a good job. Um, I have you do the, a really good job though. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it, but I, apart that there are a lot of people, com, including the, the two ones who made the compliments, they are much better. I, <laughs> I, 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 I deem it. Uh, but a part of that, yeah, no, it's something I, I have to do because you need to finish the model. But uh, it's something that uh, is not really my court. And uh, but you know, I have the M12 completely re renewed, and uh, it's there. Uh, just waiting the you know the idea and inspiration to start building. But the M12 is completely you know the only thing that they have the academy part is the upper hole completely remade. All the rest is all scratched. Or take from task, and that's the course. <laughs> it's a kind of course. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I yeah, it's something that Marcus and I talked about, and I know that people have brought it up with the auto cannon. That it's there's just so much work that you put into that, and there's it's a feast to look at. That if you painted it, you'd lose all that. Like, uh, yeah, and especially, fr frankly. Um, when I, uh, I think that those, for example, the autocannon, I, I, I think it will never be painted. 
Yeah, it, I think it should. It's it's a testament to how much work went into it to be able to see it in its raw state. I tell you the story what happened to me. Um, I don't know if uh, you know if, if you, in your stash of historical production you have a M forty three Bassotto, the hundred one oh five millimeter Italian uh, uh, self propeller gun, the smaller one and larger one. Well, I did the master of that. Actually, it was my first, uh, the second master I did for for uh, for uh, in my life, and uh, crazy enough, I did too. I still have the photos. Uh, there was no digital photos around, so I can I can witness. But I did two holes: one for the master pattern and one for myself. So I build up the I scratch it the complete tank for myself, and I at the same time I was making the master pattern. So I painted the, the scratch build one. I put it on the base, and I went to a a show. So I. I put this one in the scratch build uh, session, <laughs> saying M42L uh, scratch build part. Without telling me anything, they disqualified me because they said this is not this is a, this is an historical model. So, <laughs> <scratch build. laughs> so <laughs> that's a, that's a story. It's true. <laughs> they disqual- They took him from the competition because they said, "No, you're you're cheating. You cheat. This is not a scratch." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, so that's uh, that's the story about uh, you know those kind of things. But yeah, no, it, it's it's nice, and I'm still uh, enjoying. I have uh, two projects at the moment. We are, I am taking uh, around. You know, uh, somebody like uh, is curious. You go, you can go to my uh, Facebook page, and uh, you can have a, a browser. But I'm creating uh, now a bit creative. Uh, I'm creating. I'm not going. <laughs> I'm scratch building. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm scratch building uh, two trucks. Uh, one is the Breda 41 tractor, and one is uh, a Fiat uh, uh, heavy truck, where it was uh, converted to a autocannon uh, by the Libyan uh, um, factory, and uh, they actually they made the six of them. And, uh, so I already created all the rest. I created again. Sorry. I'm, I'm English. I'm taking Italian. I'm Englishizing Italian. Sorry for I that. I think we could handle the word created. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, but, um, that will be, you know, what happened is that I'm doing something. Then when I'm off of that, I took and I create, I made the radiator. I made the, the, the nose. Then I'm fed up and moved to another stuff and then it took away. So. I don't know you guys, but normally my workbench has minimum six or seven different projects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mine's pretty cluttered Definitely. as well. <laughs> Never finished, and it will take a long time. But uh, What's the, the Fiat truck with the autocannon? What's the base truck of that? Which model Fiat? Is, uh, uh, with, it's uh, the 630, uh, the heavy, large, pre-war truck. And uh, they what they do, what they did, they put... Uh, a uh, 102 millimeter uh, naval uh, anti-navy cannon on that. It's quite a huge truck. It's you know it's in uh, in millimeter. I think it's around 35 millimeter, uh, 35 centimeters long uh, model. And uh, actually, all the gun has to be scratched because there is no model of that. So I got the again. 
the factory. Uh, I, I got from the bikers, Italian bikers, the uh, built uh, uh, original uh, drawings. And uh, so I will build then the canon out of that. That will be a fun, another fun project. Also the, the Breda, uh, the Breda 41, that's, that's also the craziness. I don't know if it happens to you, but, uh, when I bought uh, the, uh, I built up the, the truck for the auto cannon, you see the, uh, the one that scratched the, the head. Um, there was no, um, no documents, no drawings, nothing. It was, I had just one small drone in a book. Then uh, I got from a friend, it was before internet was happening. So just to give you an idea how long it is. And uh, a friend of mine saw that in Rome Museum, in the Military Museum in Rome, they had one of those trucks. So I was able to have a contact with the head of this museum, which was a soldier. It was a, um, an official. And uh, he took me that he would say, listen, you are one of the few that come here to see these things. Why you say, because I want to make those trucks. I say, okay. You are my guest, and practically, um, I took with me the uh, a, um, a mechanic uh, uh, suit. And at a certain moment in time, I put my mechanic suit and I went down the track to photos all the down of the track, all the details and everything. And I, those guys was looking at me like these crazy guys. <laughs> but uh, after that, I called the Breda Archive in Milan and I said, "Listen, can I?" Try to find out something about those trucks in your archive. You say the archive is open. Go in, do it whatever you want. I spent three days into the archive, putting all the material. You can't imagine how many material those archive has, which are completely unclear. I found the original um, um, book of this, uh, the maintenance book and the parts book, because those is important. One thing uh, many people may not realize is it's very hard. To scratch build something you don't know what is used for yeah. or how it works, yeah. and it's important. And that is the curiosity behind. It. My, my 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 wife say that uh, I have an engineer mind, maybe, but when I scratch build, the first thing before you scratch the part, you need to understand what is making, what is used, how is how is operated. Then it's very easy to build it. If you don't know what, how what is about or it's very hard you can do something similar but it will not be that yeah. part but coming back to us so i found out the other maintenance books i took at home spent the money now breda 41 is one of those so with uh, i'm building up with uh, all the parts uh, books so part by part and uh, trying to get the you know measurements the details and everything but uh, those are that's the, this is the fun about the, the, the scratch building. And Italian trucks are so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the problem is that we build one or two only. Yeah. I'm, I was, <laughs> I just Googled, because uh, I remembered there was a, a Fiat truck that I really loved, um, and it was the 665. Oh, yeah. The four-wheel yeah. drive. With the, with the really big tires. That's a, that's a really cool truck. I cannot help you with the truck, but I, if you want uh, uh, the complete set of uh, the tire for him, I have it already casting. Mm. That's the best. But bit. I didn't. I <laughs> actually, <laughs> one thing in the old time, wheels were the real, the, the most challenging part to be done because you need to have a lathe, you need to uh, 
create the, the right uh, angles uh, and everything. So that so before you start the, the scratch process, you build the, the wheels. Once the wheels are done, then you can do the rest. Mm. If you are able to make that, the rest will be easy. And actually, I built the wheel, the Libya wheel, which was quite big for this truck. I casted it, but then I lost the interest and it's up there. So if you want a set of those wheels, more than your my my guest, be my guest, more than happy to send it. Mm. To you. But then you need I to know. do that. <laughs> That's the problem. I well, I can give you I can give you the factory drawings, no problem. Wow, <laughs> there's a tempted man. <laughs> yeah, there is a tempted man. Oh, it's. I think if there's one thing we share, it's that we all like making something that no one else has made or is probably going to make. So if you could have designed a temptation for Tracy, <laughs> that would have been it. Yeah, and it's been on my. It's just always been in the back of my mind that I've kept an eye out. Oh, somebody's going to release one of these one day, and it, it'll be expensive, but I'll buy it because it's just so cool. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's quite a, uh, it's quite a beast. Yeah. But it also then, uh, actually, you know, uh, it became then the base of all the heavy truck post-war. Uh, the civil trucks are all based on that uh, specific chassis. Uh, you have different uh, suspension, different engine, but uh, overall it's uh, it's common. So, uh, but uh, yeah, if you if you if you want, be my guest. I can give you all the thirty. Uh, they're already in thirty-five. So you have the <laughs> chassis diagram, transmissions, engine, cabin, cat, everything, and you have also the wheel done. So. Yeah, it's already done the hard bit. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Really done the hard bit. <laughs> uh, that's that's really tempting because it, yeah, the Italian trucks are are so cool, and then but I think the Italian uh, artillery tractors are also really mm. cool. Yeah, they're the coolest, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Historica made the, the Breda thirty two. For me, is one of the coolest uh, artillery tractor ever. This one was. Scratch built by a friend of mine. Um, actually, he's my neighbor. <laughs> Believe me or not. Uh, and this, I think, is um, it's not mine, but I think is one of the best scratch built to production model ever. The detail he was able to put, considering that the, the master pattern was done in '93, so we're speaking about more than 20. Next years yeah. ago, and still he has all the detail inside. So for the forty-one I'm building, uh, I, I used a copied part of the chassis because, for example, the Breda didn't use a standard chassis; they use cast chassis. So they're very yeah. They, 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 the chassis was cast, and the engine was uh, a dry uh, oil kind drainage engine with a cast part where you have all the attachment of the suspension in. So it was a crazy design. And that's why it was a you know we could do only few because we were not industrialized mm -hmm. enough. And even the, the design was nice, but the 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 design itself required the technology that was too much for for a, for a peasant country, honestly. So if you take the Breda, Breda has independent wheels, yeah. all independent wheels, which is something that you see now on the truck. You know, the, what the Breda did on the 
41 and 32, you see on the Tatra, you remember the Tatra, mm -hmm. the Czech trucks, mm -hmm. the, it was considered the best? Well, Tatra used the very same technology that Breda was using in 29. So that's, and that's what uh, I like also about scratch building, going into detail, see the technical stuff, see the difference, realize how crazy was some people in, in those days because they were experimenting something new. Mm. For us, it's the, the reality. For them, was, every day was something new, experimental. So, uh, but there, the Italian trucks are, are quite uh, a nice one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that there will be coming more and more. I think, uh, I don't know, it's been now, they have the lunch, I, I said, mm -hmm. uh, which just looks pretty good. But, uh, yeah, but I think that all the light trucks, all the dovunque, um, the Dovunque series, so the old terrain trucks, those are uh, something that uh, or you build yourself or you don't, or you don't have it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. They're, it's a great it's great subject matter, and it's nice to see some of it getting a little bit more attention, but um, I, I think you're right. I don't think it's ever going to be a lot of mainstream production. Mm, uh, Consider also the subject. Uh, trigger warning now. IPG. <laughs> Three RO trucks. <laughs> uh, nice try. <laughs> what to trigger you or to make the kits? <laughs> uh, well, at least they they made the effort yeah. on uh, on making something. Uh, <clears throat> I have to say that if you take, for example, the three. Uh, okay, I don't know how you pronounce in English, but in Italian is trero. Trero. That sounds three much better R -O. than three RO. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, the, the real name is Trero. Trero. Uh, the Trero overall is uh, is a great kit. Uh, okay. Just as uh, some 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 quirks here and there. For example, the radiator is too small, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's easy to correct. Um, so the the, the the standard truck, uh, frankly, I would say that you can really get out of a really nice model uh, with minimal effort. Um, what is about is the autocannone. Autocannone is nice. And, uh, I know people, uh, they were given quite a substantial detail and, and drownings, original drownings, maintenance mm -hmm. and everything that they were able to, you know, oh, maybe they, they try to simplify to reduce the cost of the molds and everything. But if you take, for example, the 915, the, the cannon itself, it's, uh, okay. -ish. But if you take, for example, the um, the front uh, armor of the of the gun, it's uh, completely to redo. So being a rivet counter, I can say all the re they say they reproduce like rivets. In reality, a bolt. So right. you need to really change is conical bolt outside and X bolt inside. They made rivets. So and they are two hundred and sixty nine, and I know it because I did it on that. <laughs> so it's the very same. Overall, then uh, it's 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 an okay kit, much better than what uh, the latest Italeri Italian stuff produced. I was really, you know, uh, disappointed by the new M42 that Italeri did, mm. for example. Um, it's especially uh, if the uh, the Italian uh, manufacturer as well. You think they kind of uh, get it right? Uh, it, it, uh, frankly, sometimes I, I say, I think that, uh, you know, I don't know who they put in front of the, the CAD to make the design of the new part, but 
actually the older part from the older kit that comes from the 73 because the m13 that Adhere did was was issued in 73 are better so even the i got now the tamiya uh Italeri produced uh, m42 with the 75 34 canon and they have the same mistake so for example one thing all italian tanks has conical bolt so externally have all conical bolts and it's such a peculiar of italian tanks mm. so they did it conical on the, in the 73 they did conical in, uh, in the, the uh, ab41 they did conical into the p40 tell me why all the new parts they did in the m42 have a flat bolts on it <sighs> uh, you know uh, <laughs> how dare they uh, but also the interior it will be good for a 70 kit it's not you know uh, EBG is doing the same so if I have to say I, I would uh, put my money in terms of kudos on EBG but much more than on Italeri mm. in terms of efforts they did recently but then it's the cursing of scratch building and knowing those kind of stuff when you go in the detail you see then I say oh this is not good oh shit I need to identify this one off when there's a, an error on a kit, mm. if you're a mm. scratch builder and you're used to looking at every little detail, it's hard not to see the problems on kits. Oh yeah, because you change your eye to look for all the little things. And... Yeah, and uh, not only, but then uh, I don't know if it happened to you. You are also a hard scratch builder, so but you have immediately temptation thinking on how you can fix it. Yeah, <laughs> immediately the problem solver starts to kick in. Yeah, <laughs> it's not only oh, this is a, because actually um, I don't I don't publicly say well, this is mistake or this is wrong. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. like it. This is for me. Uh, yeah, and uh, but yeah, you look at this. Oh, I can I can I fix it? Okay, this is done. Okay, we can do it. But the way um, the M forty two, I'm trying. I have an, a, an insane idea. Uh, to transform it in a M4012 uh, basalt, so the the one which is not yet produced by anyone, and make it for myself. By the way, it's not; it will not be commercially yeah. available. But yeah, you say that there'll be thirty, and people will be fighting each other for them. That's you know. Uh, again, also for the kangaroo, at the end of the day, is probably one of the. Uh, I would say quite uh, unusual and uh, probably the least popular uh, subject of World War II. Mm. I don't know if it's least popular. I mean, there's something to be said about watching someone like you build this. The progress photos that you put up, you become interested in a subject that yeah. you might not have had any interest in before because you're watching somebody create it. Mm. I think, you know, I... I never wanted to build a kangaroo, but I watched you build yours, and then suddenly <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's that's really cool." <laughs> yeah, uh, well, uh, thank you so much. I appreciate. It. it Means that I I think that is also the great stuff about uh, the social is uh, if you are able to inspire people or motivate people making things. That's the best thing I can I can really uh, hope because 
it's not for saying showing what I'm doing, just saying, oh, it's great or whatever. It's uh, people kind of say, hey, how you do it? How you did it? Uh, oh, I will try to make the same. Or um, oh, you put me or I will make this. That's just the best. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I'm looking through the photos here and, and you know, there are things that, that I've been interested in building that now I can look back and see, oh, okay, well, I can see how he corrected these things. And there's no way I, I would personally be able to build that kit without at least doing the corrections that I see on yours. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, it's the same for me for the others. And uh, frankly, uh, if you take, for example, the T26A4, the uh, Super Pershing, uh, I, I, you know, I corrected most of the stuff. Um, you know, Obi Boss is a relatively honest kit, but uh, not as a, uh, not as a, uh, as a for for the Super Pershing. So you need to make a lot of modification. But then you make a, I made so many that you for you 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 know you you overlook some of the detail. And I have people calling me and say, "Hey, you forgot to change this, this and that," <laughs> and. My question, my, my answer was, I appreciate it. I will correct and I correct it. So, and I learned something, but then at the same time, I realized one thing, which is something at this I can tell you, which is something that everyone overlooks when you're making a super version. The rear, the, uh, the drive sprocket is wrong, plain wrong for any kit. If you look at the, um, the photos of the super version, the only one built, by the way, you see that the sprockets are from the T26A2 prototype, one of the, of the four prototypes produced. And the sprocket is much more similar to the M4 um, with, um, uh, vertic- uh, with horizontal volute spring than to a T26. So I had to make myself. I, I latted the stuff because mm. it's, that's, that, and now it's correct. Now that wheel is correct. <laughs> and I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I counted the teeth on it, though. It's It's got one teeth too many. Just kidding. No, 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 no. The teeth are... <laughs> uh, it's, what uh, a jerk. It's, it's, oh, it's, what a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, that's a, that, the good stuff about... Oh, it's, uh, it's a completely different shape and... Uh, you have to latter the part, and internally it's like the Sherman one. It's not like the the old one. And you know, I used for that kit. Uh, somebody of you remember those Australian company producing racing trucks back in the early nineties, World War Two production. Hardcore models. Yeah. Oh, World no, War Two production. production. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I I actually happen to have two sets of those. And uh, I'm uh, which uh, a friend um, from US made me as a gift, uh, probably mid of the nineties. I kept that, and now they are getting in use on that track after yeah, <laughs> twenty years. <laughs> so they fit the sprocket. They fit the sprocket. They fit the sprocket. Well, that's the other problem when you start making your own sprockets and you go off the plans, not the kit. Is, that's fine as long as the pitch of the track is correct in the <laughs> otherwise that's another problem you just created for yourself yeah, yeah. I just have to correct the width 
<laughs> of the, of the, wait, the width of the sprocket or the width of the tracks? Uh, sprocket. It was much easier. Yeah. <laughs> much easier. I'm going to go through and hand adjust every link of the track. <laughs> uh, the thing is that the, the, those links, uh, regardless of what they were produced 20 years ago, they are really spot on. Yeah. That guy, they, yeah, that guy made a great job. I can tell you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his, his Panther tracks are still legendary among the Panther fans. Yeah, and that. Uh, yeah, overall uh, it's uh, it's nice and uh, but again boring maybe. Maybe my wife, you know, uh, especially when you have a wife, then you say, "Hey, what do you like?" It's oh, it's a piece of plastic. <laughs> That's the most uh, you know encouraging stuff I have of my wife. Well, that's the great thing about social media. You can you can share something <laughs> on social media, and there's people out there who really appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you know, yeah. But and your and your your wife just is happy that you're happy. Oh, it is, and uh, and frankly, it's uh, one of the best parts of the social media. Uh, I don't know your story, but I was almost near to to quit the the uh, the hobby some some years back. And uh, because I didn't have any 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 stimulus anymore, and then I discovered uh, Missing Links. Yeah, what a great site! Yeah, and from Missing Links, uh, I have to say that uh, they probably you know made a bad job to have me back in the in the hobby. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the that was a, a new story. And then uh, now the social media, I think. It doesn't really make a big difference. You, you change the, the media, but the fact that put the people in contact, if you do it in the candid and transparent way with a positive attitude, that is fantastic. And uh, I, I think one of my favorite things about missing links outside of being able to see everyone's work, which was really just about the only way you might be able to see something before it appeared in a magazine, you know, was was to see it on missing links, but it was the the research, like people were doing really really serious research, and it was a good place for everybody to come together and share what they were researching and and essentially share their knowledge, and that's something that uh, it's it's still there in Facebook and other social media within specialized groups I think, but it's not quite the same mm. as. The heyday of missing links. Uh, it is also because uh, we be, we change it, or better, the audience change it from research. Now we are avid consumer of information, which is different. Before you were researching and you keeping the research result, sharing what was have to be shared and used to make something better. Today we just consume information, but that's really that helps us to make something better. I'm not sure. And think about how how modeling has changed in the past five years, ten years. Before, you were people who were trying to help you in uh, finding out mistakes in the building, or uh, or how you can improve the finishing of the building. Today, how many remarks you have on the building side? It's all congratulatory, but it's. Without any sort of historical substance, you know. Yeah. Nobody, nobody is really taking care about the research. And uh, it's painting. This makes me think of something you were talking about earlier, and I think the, the, <laughs> the, the funny curse of the scratch builder, 
is that the things that were hardest and the things that you feel were real achievements on the build, even other modelers probably won't notice because they don't know why it was hard or how many, how many times you attempted it in different ways or how, what the joy you had when you cracked it and you made it. And it's like, see that little thing down there. And it's like, you know, they, they, they don't, even other modelers won't probably recognize it, especially if you yeah. paint it. Especially if you paint it. I mean, you can recognize a complex assembly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the tires that you were talking about and the wheels, that's, you can look at that and, and see, well, that didn't come out perfectly the first time. That, that There's effort involved in the finished product. But if it's visually complicated, then I think people begin to have an appreciation of, of the effort that went into it. But yeah, as soon as you put paint on it, it that that to me is it's lost. Then, yeah, that's why I I like seeing, you know, when people have put in that much work, why paint it? Ah, uh, you you need to you have to finish at the end of the day. Um, uh, frankly, the only one I will not paint it would be those Breda, but all the rest I promised myself I will put a coat of paint on it. The challenge is that. Knowing how much effort you put on it, how you dare to make a mistake. Knowing that I am not uh, a painter at all, if I make a mistake, I screw everything, probably two, three years of work. That's his, his fear. It's pure fear. Well, you can always re, you can repaint. Yeah, you can repaint. Uh, people that only model kits and don't scratch build, one of the things they probably don't appreciate it's one of the hardest things I find in scratch building is making something that when it's finished has a perfect surface to be painted because you're sanding things and you're cutting things and it's all too easy to put the paint on, put a wash on, ping, there's those scratches you didn't notice. It's not like a kit where the machines, the CNC machine has cut it and polished it and you're going to get a perfect or you should get a perfect finish unless it's some pebbly short run. But, um, you know, it's really hard. One of the hardest things I find, one of the things I find that is the sort of the top 10% of uh, of scratch building is finishing, is, is making sure the finish is absolutely perfect. Yeah. And you won't and know that if you don't put paint on it. Yeah, exactly. And this is one of the challenge. Most of the primer that you're currently using are not suitable for our job, for the scratch building job, because they create a, they create a, a film. And then when you need to, to retouch it, take the complete peel off mm. the only one you can i'm still using is the gunze uh mr surfacer because it's the only one is not peeling off that's the one i use yeah yeah i use that in the tamia uh yeah tamia i i use that personally but i found out it tends especially when uh, you on pieces that you need to resend or uh, recut it tends to crack I don't know how to say it. it happens to me. While uh, Gunze is the only one who is really, you put the surface, he melt uh, when you use uh, the, the uh, but doesn't create any crack or any, it, it can be done. It sounds really nicely as well. Yeah, it's, I don't know you, but in Italy it's also quite hard to find those materials quite today. Probably you have one or two sources of this material. Oh, I'm lucky my local model shop carries it. Uh, 
that's that's my dream, guys. You know, my nearest model shop is uh, in miles. My nearest model shop is uh, one sixty miles away. Wow. Yeah, it's in Padova. Yeah, that's probably about the same for me. That there's really the, the model, yeah, there's modeling shops are almost non-existent in the U.S. Everything is mail order. It is. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's part of the game. But come on, it's changing. It, the world is changing, and we have to change with that. Um, but uh, I like the mustache. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's about half of it, maybe. <laughs> See, I should be a proper. The, the problem with scratch building is this stuff never gets built. I like the look of it. I buy it, and then I go and make something out of white plastic. Listen, I define myself scratch builder and compulsive uh, model collector. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, currently, I think uh, I I shall have something around uh, six hundred unbuilt kits. Yeah, you win. <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly feel so much better. <laughs> Actually, I I, uh, I I have a, a, a garage just for storing the unbuilt stuff. <laughs> Compulsive oh, collector. Yeah. Are you strictly an armor builder? Uh, uh, yes. Um, I think that I'm not uh, that raffinated to build up aircrafts. I think that the, the one who build aircrafts are a pinch over the average mod, uh, armor builder. Ooh. And I'm an armor builder. I think the finesse, the eye, the hand, and the precision that uh, somebody build an aircraft, a, a good aircraft, or av- above the average aircraft, is uh, quite a substantial capacity. I don't. Maybe I can try, but I'm not sure that. Uh, I, I, I think I agree. I mean, I I, I build mm. some aircraft, but it's the the kits I build are not good to begin with. So it's a struggle. It's a different kind of struggle. But when I look at really well built aircraft models, I I think I don't I don't know that I would know where to start. I don't know that I can pull that off. That's yeah, a hard yeah. disagree for me. Uh, yeah. But then again, Ship. aircraft modelers might think my aircraft are shit. So who knows? <laughs> well, the difference is you're actually attempting model aircraft, whereas I, I barely am. So I consider your opinion to be a little more informed. Although and... I kind of like to see Fabio do some Italian aircraft because there's another thing that gets ignored. Uh, yeah. I have a, actually I bought the ICM uh, CR42 in one forty-eight. Actually, I have some aircraft in the stash. But uh, I never dare to to to, to you never to build it. it. Mm, no. <laughs> uh, another another thing I think is uh, the one that build the ships. Uh, I'm I'm mm. completely fascinated about the techniques on building ships. Um, but is it, that requires a different set of skills in my opinion. So it's just all plastic. Still, but uh, if you look about, uh, if you need to put in perspective of a different scale, the detail you need to put in the different scale, you need a different set of skills. It is harder to scratch building, let's say, one seven hundred. That is, you know, you're starting to get to sort of the Alex Clark level of uh, molecular manipulation of styrene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where he makes those tiny, tiny, tiny things. Yeah. 
you know, one of my good best friends was uh, Benedetto Yezzi. Mm, uh, amazing, which was, uh, amazing shit model. Uh, yeah, and uh, he was, uh, you know, by the, by accident, I don't know if you are aware, but he was also the founder and uh, the owner of Life Color. Oh. Yeah. Benedetto, yeah, this guy, actually, he passed away last year for cancer. And uh, I tell you, it's, uh, it was quite a hit for me because he was one of the best guy ever. I tell you, it's, it was really good inside. And it was, it was a hard scratch builder. I think most of his uh, ships are from scratch. Yeah, he did a couple articles for me in um, Ship Modeler. And then he, he built in one four hundred scale, so he had to scratch everything. It's not like he could borrow commercial items from other kits. Yeah, and uh, but you know, I I I spent hours when he was uh, visiting Life Color for just for for being together with friends in looking at him work, working on those kits. I was amazed, and actually, I picked quite uh, some of the techniques and converted in armor modeling. Um. But again, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a word of passion. Uh, without that, if you just do it just to show that you are great, it will not last for long. And, uh, there was a modeler, I, I don't want to name him, who um, just seemed to be interested in getting awards in various categories. And as soon as he got it, he gave up modeling. He just said, oh, I've done it now. And it's like, well, if that, I guess if that's what you set out to do, but for most of us, that's, that's not, you know. It's not what we want to do, is it? It's, it's purely for our own enjoyment and our own uh, to challenge ourselves. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, I think it, it's, it's, everyone is, uh, is, is free to do what, what they, they, they feel compelled but it's not the fun to achieve a certain result. You, you find always something new that, uh, to, 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 to scratch. Every new scratch project is a, is a different challenge. It's not that, uh, you know, give an idea, I'm building a Fiat truck and a Breda truck, but the techniques I'm using of one not necessarily are the same that I'm using the other. Because they are fundamentally two different technical projects, and you need to adapt your, your, uh, your skills and build a different technique. So, uh, but again, uh, it's where I take in the fun. Uh, my fun is not to showing oh look this is what i'm doing uh, okay i share what i do pro hopefully i'm inspiring something to me uh, to go to the hobby and getting the same fun what i'm getting but uh, i i appreciate people that appreciate my job of course and that motivate me to make to keep on doing but uh, it, you need to find the fun yourself passion yourself are you using the uh, the epoxy Putty method for the cast uh, chassis of the the Breda? Uh, no, for the, the for the chassis of the Breda, I, I use for uh, the the main chassis. I um, cast a, a racing copy of the old uh, um, uh, historical production thirty two because actually I did exactly what Breda did. I you I took those pairs, I modified it, and it's just one piece. Hmm. The front part is uh, actually scratched from uh, styrene and to make uh, all the casting effect i used mr dissolved putty oh i can't stand that stuff 
It stinks. Uh, it really stinks. But uh, frankly, if you want to reproduce a casting effect, and uh, it's it's my way to go at the moment. Normally, what I used to in the past was uh, even worse because I, uh, if you see some of my older work, uh, you have a lot of reddish part uh, on yeah. the cast, and <laughs> uh, the reddish part are actually red uh, styrene dishes. Food dishes. Uh, I cut it in small pieces, and uh, they were melted in mac. <laughs> so, and that was used like a kind of putty. But a part of mac is not really the healthiest stuff you can have in uh, the world. No. <laughs> uh, I can tell you, most of the people was telling me, "Why are you using red one?" It, it was it was for a reason. It looks like that those specific red dishes. Um, Maintain the suspension in the Mac much better, because normally right. when you when you dissolve it in the in the Mac or in the on the glue, uh, uh, normally it went down and separate quite easily and fast. Uh, those one was keeping in suspension much more and was um, it was really like a toothpaste and you can use it, but it it was not really healthy. So when I I, I discovered the Mister Dissolved Putty, ah, that was a change in my in my life because. That's you can really, it's longer because you need to use step by step. You cannot do it in one go, but then it helps you recreate all this, all the, all the casting uh, effects and everything. It's, it's great. Once you, you get a little bit uh, used to it, no way to, to change at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, it stinks. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so does plastic dissolved in mech, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but the mech doesn't stink. That's the good stuff. It hurts. It hurts in silence. <laughs> it kills the little grey cells. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that leads me on to a question. Actually, if someone's starting out in scratch building, what tools would you recommend they they should definitely have? What are the essential tools for scratch building? I think that they are quite basic. Uh, you don't really need to spend a fortune to start scratch building. Um, what I have it as basic tools. First of all, are um, steel rulers. That is uh, really basic. But I'm using uh, what I'm using nowadays. Yeah? Uh, it's not something I'm just saying to people. Um, surgical blades. I use the, the famous Swarmont, uh, Swan Morton surgical blade. Uh, the two sizes, because the small one is nice to the finest, but the largest one is incredible for cutting the really heavy parts. Um, and in this case, I have my preference goes on 11A blade and 26A blade uh, because they are not that long and then you can use a little bit more force when you need to cut. Um, so that one, a good set of, uh, um, of uh, file. I am switching more and more on uh, diamond file than the standard file. Um, Incredibly enough, uh, I found that for the small and the delicate work, there is, uh, I, I'm quite a long uh, customer of Easy. They have a, a company called Mawa. If you go in the tools in Mawa, they have a set of microfiles. So they have uh, the round, uh, we call it the mouse, uh, mouse tail. So it's very mm. thin and long, but it's uh, five centimeters uh, 
And uh, those one are incredibly good for the delicate works. Absolutely. Um, so the files, um, epoxy putty. Uh, Which putty do you prefer? Uh, depends on what you need to do. Um, right. If you need to create uh, volume parts, so structural parts, mm. I prefer the um, to use uh, uh, the epoxy. Uh, epoxy has a. Is this the file? Manwa. Hold it up. No, no, no. Oh, is a, is a, is a, so it's 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 a uh, it's a brass handle that has a loosener, and then within this is a a file. Only one? No, it's a set of six. But the file is. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, these are great. That's great. Ah, frankly, yeah. uh, it's it's inexpensive, and it's fantastic for our job. It's really yeah, yeah. These are great. It's value for great value for money. But we are speaking about uh, the epoxy put the epoxy uh, in the uh, is good for structural works for two simple reasons. Uh, it remain the uh, when it dries up. The cures, uh, they have the very same uh, softness of the styrene. So if you need to blend styrene and uh, epoxy together, and you need them to file the parts or send the parts, um, if you take a harder uh, putty, uh, you will never be able to get an even surface. So You get like a, an edge on it you can't get rid of, mm -hmm. you? or it's yeah. extremely hard to get rid of. And, and you cannot really go on and, and make it a pair mm. and even. So epoxy is fantastic for that because they have the very same tenderness. When you and say then epoxy, is that the Aves one, the apoxy? A, yeah, apoxy. Uh, sorry, yeah, in okay. Italian, okay. Uh, apoxy. But yeah, apoxy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No matter the color, I use the natural color, no problem. Mm -hmm. And the other good stuff he has is that uh, he reacts uh, pretty uh, well on water. So you can mm -hmm. uh, smooth very, very, very quickly. And actually, I don't use water, but... I don't know. I don't say. I will not say. But normally, when I need to find a, yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> this is good for the big structural work. Uh, if you need to go a little bit in finer, then uh, my my go to is uh, the Tamiya uh, Quick Type epoxy putty. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. it's the, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah the the tan the color one. one. Yeah, yeah, the tan yeah, color yeah. one. It's That's fantastic because it, it cures in, in hours and uh, it's easy to blend. It's easy to, uh, to put, you know, if I need to make a, a pad uh, or something like this, these are my good. Those, those two are really the one I use most. Um, something that people try not to use because it stinks like hell, but it's great, especially when you need to make uh, the parts on, on the caps. Is uh, the Tamiya the um, uh, the um, oh, this, the, the putty, the putty. one which is things, yeah, not the great putty, the yeah. uh, the one you use the uh, hardener is the blue one. I don't remember the name, uh, but it's not epoxy. Is uh, another kind of putty. Is very uh, you have a lot of things. Uh, or oh, it's like Mori Mori putter, Mori Mori putty. The Japanese one. I don't know if you have used it. Oh, I haven't used that, no. 
Um, well, now though, <laughs> Mori Mori Putty. Okay, that's one to look but at. But it's it's it's, uh, it's crazy, and it's the, the thing is that it it uh, cures in 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 seconds, so you need really to use it quite quickly. But then uh, when uh, you send it off, the the finish is fantastically smooth. So it's good when you need to have, uh, for example, the, the the top of the cab, and you want to be sure that everything is even. That is the best one. Uh, and it's, it cures really quickly and it doesn't crack because the problem of the great putty, the, so the standard putty is that it tends to crack pretty well and or it doesn't adhere that much. So that's frankly, I'm not using great putty since ages. The only one I'm yeah. using is uh, the dissolved putty or those ones. The problem with then, the, uh, uh, the gray putty, like uh, the Tamiya one and the Squadron one and everything, they do shrink over time. That's the, the biggest issue. For me, Mister, uh, yeah, Mister the solid putty shrinks like hell because actually is uh, yeah. a, a more is a more thin uh, standard putty, but that's is for a for a for a for a cause. This one uh, is uh, they are not shrinking at all, and therefore they give you the volumetric work much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then glues, uh, cement. Uh, I. You know, for for uh, for the standard uh, Chano glue, I can tell you, any industrial one is really good. I tend to use gel um, because uh, it's much easier to use and it doesn't drop and that makes uh, the thing. And they're a little bit more elastic, so it tends to to be a little bit more elastic, so keep the piece uh, in, in place instead of thing uh, uh, like the normal uh, glue. But then. Uh, Call me crazy, but I use four different types of uh, uh, styrene glue. Okay, I thought you were going to say super glue because everyone uses lots of different no, super glue. No, no, super glue is now for the glue. So uh, the extra thin for uh, Tamiya, the Gunze extra thin, the blue cap, the standard thin of Tamiya, the uh, dense of Tamiya. And the dense of uh, of uh, of uh, you can say they are almost the same. No, everyone has a different use, and it depends on what you want to do. So the super thin, the super extra thin of Tamiya, for example, has a great thing that you can instantly uh, glue the part. So it's good when you need uh, to make a, a quick work and uh, a precise work because it doesn't hurt the part; it doesn't melt the rest. But it's very weak in terms of cement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you need to count on a very strong bond, forget about that. Then you go on the other glue. So depends on the job. So glue is quite important and it's also quite inexpensive. So it's much better to have more, more, one more than having one less. Rulers, cutters, and then uh, passions, fun, and documentation. Document, yeah. document, yeah. and document. So uh, you can start from there. Then you can enreach whatever. So now I have my mini lathe with me. That how you call it in English? Lathe. A lathe. A lathe. Lathe. Thank you so much. Lathe. Uh, I have my. There'll meal. be people listening that will go. Oh, <laughs> you said latte quite a lot of times, <laughs> and we haven't said Late. anything. Be, oh, oh, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I thought my... he, I thought he was having a little coffee. 
<laughs> so, I don't think you drink uh, latte in Italy, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you, then you can enrich. But uh, if you want really to start scratch building, and then important is uh, the supplementary material. So um, if you go, for example, on uh, Evergreen, um, again, uh, all the different type of uh, of mini strips. Uh, uh, all the different uh, thickness of uh, of plastic plates. Evergreen is great. Um, I was actually quite a big uh, fan of um, Plastrack, but seems yeah, that uh, it's very hard to find now. And uh, it seems that uh, they they closed the factory, they move it, but uh, they are not reopening it. So it's very hard. Oh. If you go in on this site, is uh, not able to buy anymore. Oh, I'm going to the model shop tomorrow. They stop plastrucks. I'll buy everything while I'm there. I can tell you, it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to 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 spread uh, blasphemous rumors, but uh, it's it's quite hard. I was always buying online because it was not available here. But uh, uh, you know, the zero three millimeter uh, rod that they do is uh, simply, mm. um, you know, worth every single money. They they wait. And you know that is the material you start from, and from there, then uh, it's your creativity and everything. Like for example, how to form a, how to form a, a spring uh, mm. suspension, or how to create a transmission. Uh, then it's just your your creativity and solution based uh, fun. That's yeah, your problem different. problem yeah. solving. Yeah. yeah, it's incredibly rewarding as well. Yeah, people and punch and die. Mm. Yeah, punch and die is very punch and die. It's uh, it's a thing, and uh, I don't know if you have uh, you share with me, but uh, I think that the uh, the punch and die done by the uh, tools company, the Hungarian one, are simply the best in the moment. RP tools. Tool Z. Tool Z. Now he's talking about tool T O L Z. Yes. Chris yeah. and I both have uh, RP tools. They're punch and die, which is also really yeah. nice. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're really worth the money. And uh, with those tools, then it's about yourself. You can you can really start. Mm. It's, it's easy. So you know you need uh, 200 rivets, and you sit there with a bit of plastic going, tap, move, tap, move, tap, move. Oh, no. Tap, oh, lift, yes. move. Tap, lift, move. <laughs> it's pretty you repetitive. Know, <laughs> Uh, on the uh, on the kangaroo interior, just for the mm. driver part, you have uh, 120 of those tap move, tap move, tap move. Tap move. <laughs> but uh, the, that Shard D one is entirely riveted, so yeah, me and rivets are closely oh, uh, acquainted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, I've seen it. It's it's it's, it's a really hors d'oeuvre en français. <laughs> <laughs> Masterpiece. <laughs> it's an ugly duckling. That's what it is. <laughs> it is it, yeah, it's it's very cool though. That's what we say in Italy. It's so ugly that it's so beautiful. It makes it beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I've got to be honest. I, I'm all the stuff people say they love and it's really beautiful, like Spitfires or Panthers or stuff like that. I just find them really boring. Like, give me the ugly stuff anytime. Yeah, the ugly well, stuff. I mean, more interesting. You can have an appreciation for both. You know, I like the the Fiat 500, but I also like a Ferrari. Yeah, they are, they are a quite. 
I think a braid is cool too, but yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, those are coming back to us. Is this is the tools? I don't think that you really need to spend a you know a huge amount. You don't you don't have to break the bank if you want to start a scratch building activity. You can really start with very simple, and then you can build up based on what you have your idea. Uh, most I mean, I've of got people... lots of tools, like um, I've got the silhouette cutter and I've got the vac former machine and and lots of and a chopper and lots of things like that. But ninety nine point nine percent of my work is swan more than a steel rule, basically. Yeah, uh, most of the people, uh, you know, sometimes I have friends coming to me, and the first time they come to me, they they are quite disappointed to see that I'm not using. They they think that oh, you do those kind of jobs, you must have a, such a kind of tools to make them happen mm. and then they are really disappointed to see that you you have two sharp blades uh, a steel ruler and then yeah it's it's all about thinking on how you you engineer the part and that's it it's yeah it's about your desire to improve something I, exactly. mean, I, I haven't scratch built an entire kit but i certainly did a lot of improvements with plastic uh on the edward hetzer oh yeah that's a nice great that's great i like it yeah i think you're borderline scratch building the kit there (laughs) yeah it i i it's like the uh italy issue it's it's an italian company making an italian tank and they still get it wrong it's you know the edward (laughs) is it's a czech company making a czech tank and and there's it's great a few errors yeah (laughs) They could blame the but, Slovaks. Uh, yeah, I guess they could. Yeah, it's, you know, it's you know, it's a a desire to to become to improve my skill set with raw plastic and tools to make these improvements on my own, and instead of maybe trying to find an aftermarket source or uh, you know, it's just I, I just wanted to become better at that part of my hobby. Yeah. It is, yeah, and uh, and it's the fun. Yeah, uh, it's fun. M12, you've seen, I've, I've done, uh, um, if you say the M12 the uh, with the uh, 125 GPF, the initial phase of the, uh, when they landed in uh, in um, in the Normandy, they were using the first type of uh, grenades. They were not using the M25 grenade, they were using the M1 grenade, and there, there is no commercial use. I latted mine, and I copied it in resin. So now on my M12, I have the right grenade, yellow, because the good thing is that they were painted in yellow, in bright yellow. So also thinking on when it will be all produced, that would be great to have those yellow spot on on the model, yeah. which is all green. Yeah. Um, but that that's that's the fun on on the stuff and uh yeah i i just want you know and another point is uh being open so somebody is asking me how you do it please just come and ask me i would be more than glad to answer compare you know compare what my my work uh, engagements are but you're welcome you are my guest be my guest in in everything more than glad to support Okay, we need to, to wrap this one up, but where can people find your work? You've mentioned Facebook, but you're also on Instagram. Is that right? 
So how do they uh, find your modeling pages on Facebook and Instagram? Oh, yeah. Uh, I am on Facebook. Uh, I have a, a, a small uh, page called F-Scale Modeling. And uh, on Instagram, uh, that's also giving the lack of fantasy I have. It's SK Modeling Insta. <laughs> on brand. <laughs> uh, no, it's just lack of uh, of. I, I will never be in a marketing manager anywhere. So. <laughs> hey, but, it works uh, in one place; it'll work in another. <laughs> <laughs> you need to find where your best fit of you is, right? <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, no. Overall, uh, I'm, I'm glad if somebody just is curious or you want to make something, more than glad I'm here and uh, be my guest. I will be really happy. Yeah, and there's I'm looking at the, the Facebook page now, F-Scale Modeling, and there's such a huge amount of content. I'm just scrolling and scrolling, and there's just everything you want. It's a feast for the eyes, and and there's certainly... Just you could probably look at almost every picture and, and have a question. Well, how did you do that? And... <laughs> I tried to put also some, uh, um, uh, how you call it, tutorial. For example, how you create, you bend the plastic rods to make handles or uh, all these kind of things using hot water. For example, you can create a, a a, uh, a styrene uh, uh, spring using st uh, hot water because styrene has a characteristics. Once is uh, emerged, is submerged into a boiling water for three seconds, and then immediately under cold water, it keeps the form. So you can create springs, you can create loops. Uh, for example, I made myself my footman loops uh, on the Sherman are done mm. with the uh, with the preformed, heat-formed um, uh, styrene. Easy to fix because you use the standard glue instead of uh, yeah. super glue. It's clean. And uh, you can do a lot of things. You can create, a, if you look at, the, for example, on the M3, um, I did the wretched vehicle I, I made. Uh, the front uh, brush guards of the, is done by preformed, uh, Preforming styrene. Uh, so if you see the Stuart uh, front brush car, quite a complex form. So you can create your template and you can heat forming uh, the styrene to, to fit the part. So I tried to make some tutorial, but uh, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, no, I mean, look, yeah, it's here. It's it's in the photos for sure. Or for well, example, as always, I'll, I'll put a link on the um, on the show notes. For your pages as well, so people can go along there and, and have a look at those. I appreciate, yeah. and uh, hopefully it was not that boring. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. Thank you ever so much, Fabio, for uh, for coming on the uh, Spirit Cutters Union for this interview. Pleasure, and uh, thank you to everyone who will listen to that. <laughs> thank awesome. you. Bye bye.
Inside the Armour is excited to announce that in addition to our own range of scale modelling books and other items and Tetra Model Works, that's Superfine PE, we will now also be stocking Wolfpack Designs book, Master Yu, The Art of Military Miniatures. Also soon coming to Inside the Armour, Yamashita Hobby ships to go with the amazing Tetra PE sets. Yamashita Hobby make the best destroyers for the IJN Navy in this scale. And we believe that putting it together with Tetra PE from InsideTheArmor.com, you'll be able to make stunning models. So get on over there now to InsideTheArmor.com. And don't forget, the Sprue Cutters Union is just one of a number of superb scale modelling podcasts. There are too many to list, but go to modelpodcasts.com to find a full list of all these great shows. That was our interview with Fabio. What a great guy. What a nice guy. Absolutely. What a pleasure to talk to him. Yeah, very cool. Um, unfortunately, I did not get to actually talk to him because I was having google chrome trauma that morning and was not able to participate but i did listen to it and uh not only did you guys do a great job as usual but he does he seems like a super cool guy so good it was an interesting interview i mean he's offering me masters of wheels that he's made and factory plans to build this truck that i think is really cool like oh that's incredibly intimidating that's incredibly intimidating to me, but extremely generous of him. I did. I wasn't aware of that truck or interested in it. And as soon as he offered you the plans, I wanted to build it. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what that truck looks like. I was I was sitting in the parking lot at Lowe's waiting on a package to come out when I was listening to that. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that truck looks like. It's got big, beefy baller tires. And it's got that 40s, you know, French Italian look kind of streamlined. It's a good-looking truck. It's like a kind of, it's like a '40s Italian monster truck, isn't it? It's got these massive, great wheels. Yeah, but they're not. It's not like all jacked up. It's you know the wheel wear, uh, the wheel fairings yeah. are, are you know conform to the tires and everything. It's just, it's just uh, you know it, only a couple of Red Bull stickers. No, no, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> everything is better with Red Bull stickers. It's a bit like those bus American buses from the '50s. That are just kind of rounded but rectangular yeah. and and real cool. Okay, kind of the Art Deco look. Now, what's the name? Of, what's the name of the truck again? Uh, if I remember correctly, it's the Fiat Six Five Six. No, because the Fiat model numbers. Oh, it's the Six Six Five. I'm sorry, Fiat Six Six Five. Come on, get your shit together, man. I was only six, I only six, misplaced five. a digit or two. Oh, okay. Now I see it. Yeah, that's dope. That is cool as yeah. shit. Look at that thing. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's this thing is dope as fuck, man. I, I would love to have one of these. Yeah, it's rad. Yeah, I like the styling, and I see what you mean now about the about the giant tires, and also what uh, what Fabio was saying about why he builds the wheels first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I totally get that, and I'm just going to say right yeah, now. Those are mad fucking rims, aren't they? They are. <laughs> really, they are. they are. And I'm just going to say right now that uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a, uh, a Fusion 360 and 3D printing exercise right there. The wheels. Yeah. Oh yeah, but he did. But he hand built them. Like there are photos of them in his on his Facebook page. 
Yeah. And I'm sure they're beautiful. I'm sure they are, but I will never concede the superiority of doing it uh, the modern way. Oh, and look, but it's already it's already done. Oh, I know, I know, I get it, I get it, and mad respect, totally mad respect. Uh, but but this gets into the debate, uh, you know, like Chris and I continue to have about uh, the uh, the merits of uh, doing it the OG way or doing it the you know, the way the cool kids, the modern cool kids do it. I'm just going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to say it right now. You'll do a better job with these using the digital method. No doubt about I'm it. I'm sure. But I've been thinking about this and I think one of the reasons that, you know, guys like Chris and I are a little more reluctant to, and I'm going to speak for Chris, even though he's, he can contradict me. Um, you, you, you've grown up behind a computer using CAD and, and building things as an engineer on a computer. A lot of people who are younger have spent their entire lives behind a computer. So learning software to manipulate things uh, in a program like that is less of a learning curve for people who are already super uh, computer connected. And the, the, the less you use your computer for work, the more, the bigger the learning curve is. So, I mean, and of course, Fabio said that yeah. in the interview. You know, yeah, he's, he's not he's not a digital right. native, is he? And 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 that is and that is a hundred percent true. And to make it even worse is this is what a lot of guys find out. And and Fabio spoke to this, and I could I could really relate to what he was saying about uh, you know having to think in engineering terms when you're breaking parts down for casting or assembly or whatever, because that's the other level of designing your own shit is, is it's not just learning how to push the buttons in the software. It is, it is about learning how to do some at least low level engineering. And that's a whole other thing aside from just, you know, how do I, how do I turn the software on and make a box? Actually, I was thinking about this the other day. The, the similarity all of them have as well, uh, designing PE, designing on 3D or scratch building, and it's not something everyone has, although I think most people can do it. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to 3D visualize Absolutely. as well in your head. Yes, 100%. You can't do anything on a screen or with plastic unless you're good at, uh, at visualizing things in 3D mm-hmm. behind your eyes, basically. 100%. The other thing that I really liked about it uh, that he was where he talked about sort of the comparison of, of, of the feels, you know, the sense of satisfaction that you get uh, from doing it, mm. you know, from doing it by hand versus doing it from, you know, doing it digitally. And, and uh, because I've done it both ways. I mean, I'm not nearly as accomplished a scratch builder as Chris is. I certainly haven't done as much of it, but I've done enough of it to at least have a feel for it. And I've done a lot of other kinds of scratch building with wood and steel and so forth. And, and I can say, say this with certainty, that there's, there's sort of two parts to the satisfaction thing. And, and you know, you begin with a, with, a, with a picture in your head, right, of what the thing you want to make is going to look like at the end. And for me, at least, the satisfaction of seeing that, that, that visualization come to life is the same whether I'm looking at it on a screen having done, you know, hundreds of little computer operations to get there 
or whether I'm looking at it in real life on my workbench, having, you know, chopped up a bunch of styrene or whatever. But obviously the process, the satisfaction of the, of the, of the hand skills part, that's obviously totally different. But like the feeling of, of having accomplished the goal of creating this thing, for me anyway, is the same either way, if that makes sense. What I love, going back to more really about, uh, about Fabio, what I love about what he does, he picks subjects that no one else seems to do. And he produces really unique models. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no one out. Well, very few people out there building these big Italian um, gun trucks or, or artillery tractors. And he does, you know, he gets really deep into the research, really deep into his personal preferred subject and makes fantastic models. Models that quite probably, if you made a kit, you might make money doing them in res way. He has done, hasn't he, through, through his friend's company at Historica. But um, you wouldn't if you made a plastic kit of these things how well would they sell and it's like it doesn't matter you know because he's just making it for himself he's not making something that's popular or pretty he's just making something that really excites him and interests him and really that's what modeling's about i think absolutely i kind of feel like if if about these trucks like this sort of the same as i do about tractors i I think there's an untapped market there i think (laughs) Well, they are tractors. <laughs> they're artillery tractors, mm-hmm. but they're tractors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's I, why you like them. <laughs> I just, I just think that there's so much. Like, I look at this truck, and I, I'm like you, Chris. I didn't even know about this thing before, and now I think, wow, that would that would be a really cool thing to build and and do the weathering. And there's just an endless amount of of uh, of opportunity there. Um, you know, it gets away from the same old boring tanks and same old boring Spitfires. Mm. That's the funny thing as well, though. He said he doesn't like painting, that for him it's painting. <laughs> and, uh, which was a really, uh, well, forgive him for English not being his first language, but as puns go, that was labor. <laughs> that, was, that, was <laughs> uh, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. But um, he's still really good at it. You know, it just goes to show, you know, you might not enjoy it, but if you take pride in what you do, you can still do it really well. And he still appreciates the fact that a model isn't a finished model until it's painted, which is. I would agree with because that's that's what I think, but others might disagree. Well, his you know his scratch built uh, the the Italian truck that he scratch built over the course of like twenty something years. I, I don't yeah. I don't know. I don't think that one should be painted. I think it's a. I'd be happy if it wasn't. Yeah, it, it's a monument to the amount of work, uh, yeah, a testament to the amount of work that he put into it. It's you can see it all because it's all white plastic and brass and copper and. You know, there's there's not a bit of a kit anywhere in there. Um, the problem with it, though, is also it won't be a testament for too long because unless you seal it with a lacquer, white plastic goes yellow and crumbles within fifteen twenty years. Yeah, I've bought masters oh, from not good. old kits. You know that were made. I I used to when I did resin, I bought a couple of masters from Cromwell and released them under my own company. And they were. In, I had to do some repairs to them when I got them. They do go very. They look like resin. They go very yellow and very cracked. So yeah. But then I have heard that if you seal them with a really good, like lacquer clear, then they won't. You know, they won't age basically. And his Facebook uh, page is F Scale Modeling, correct? That's right. Yeah. Also on Instagram. Yeah. Good stuff. So I hope we'll have more scratch builders on. I'd like to get Fabio back sometime with a couple of others. Uh, for a bit of a round table if we can arrange that maybe sometime in 2022 yeah for sure it'd be 
interesting. Well, I think as we work through the people that we want to talk to, we are going to naturally want to put a couple of them together and, and have a group conversation. Yeah. So, um, I think that, that being said, we got a lot of people to talk to, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, we really do. Um, yeah, we have a we have a long list of ideas and guests we would love to get in here. Yeah, and we've got people who are interested in coming. We just have to uh, sort out dates for them. So, well, I'm very grateful as well. Most of, if not all, of the people we've asked and we've had on said they would come back in the future as well, which is uh, it's nice for us to know that they enjoyed it and they you know enjoyed talking about their hobby to our listeners. Yeah, I agree, and it's it's they're just such inspirational conversations to have. Uh, again, this you know, outside of social media, like it's it's a fairly isolated hobby that we're involved in, um, and that's one of the appeals, for sure, of of going to contests and going to shows is being able to socialize and talk models with people who appreciate what you're interested in and what you've done, and that's I think the beauty of podcasts, you know, is that you're actually having conversations with other modelers about modeling and the people listening are interested in it. Uh, but that's not something that happens for most people on a day-to-day basis. So It's really deep conversations too. I mean, you know, with all the best will in the world, if someone asks you about a technique or something on Facebook, there's only so many words you want to type, especially if you're on a phone. It's like, oh, I don't want to sit for hours doing all, you know, I want to tell you and I want to tell you as well as I can, but it's not the same as being able to chat and get a back and forth going. Yeah, exactly. Well, while you guys have been rambling on, I've been over here at F Scale, just <laughs> browsing, just browsing. We've been pictures. having deep intellectual Which, conversations while you've been surfing the internet and, like a teenager. Yeah, like and, the interview. And, I think it was better without Will. <laughs> yeah, Actually, I did miss you, Will. Yeah, same. Looking at looking at these pictures is better without either of you two because these are <laughs> just way more the sound interesting. Off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy and if yeah, I I had not focused on his painting until just now. You mentioned that and yeah, for a guy who claims to hate painting, he's pretty fucking yeah. good at it. His weather his weathering is is on point. He's got so, a really subtle style too, and it, you know if you see it in person, it's like ten, well, I suppose you could say that about any modeler, but it, it's ten times better in person. And now I've found the pictures that he was talking about with the Breda and the independent suspension. I mean, look, this dude—he—he he, he said his wife says he's got an engineering mind. She's a hundred percent right. Because yeah. just listening to the way he talked about it, I was like, yeah, this guy could have totally been a mechanical engineer. And, and what he talked about, um, you know, understanding the way things work yes. helps you yeah. with with scratch building. Look, it's the same in CAD. I yeah. mean, understanding the understanding the way that things work, understanding a little bit about manufacturing processes also. Like if you, you know, kind of know the sort of the basics of, of casting versus sheet metal or welded plate or whatever, that can really help you develop the look of something when you're when you're designing it either way. Well, you know, I don't like to agree that 3D is scratch building. It's the same thing as scratch building. But if it's about as close as anything else gets. It's like, you know, it's like us and chimps. It's 99% the same. <laughs> it's that 1%. It, it's a, it, it is a, Especially it is a us very, three. it is a, yeah. <laughs> it is a, <laughs> it is a very similar mental process. I, you can't dispute that. It's 99% the same. It's not 100%, yeah. but it's 99 yeah, it's just again, you know, what you're missing when you're doing it on CAD is that satisfaction of of the hand skills of you yeah. know 
Obviously, we all know how we all know how satisfying good hand skills can be. (laughs) (laughs) On your tool. Uh, The funny funny thing I was thinking is that that one percent is something that CAD is far better at than scratch building. Is getting really sharp right angles, really straight lines, perfect circles. All that kind that, of stuff. that is that that is very true, and that's something that I was thinking about too. While but while, there are things I the think, and there are things I think that scratch building it's easier to do things in that than it is in CAD, like the the natural forms and stuff. You know that you were talking mm-hmm. about soft forms and things. So they they complement each other really. It's, it's funny that what's hard in one is easy in the other. Uh, well, and the danger. <laughs> <laughs> The danger with CAD is 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 I mean that that thing you're talking about is the two edged sword with CAD because you quickly find out that that is an endless rabbit hole. You know you're you you can truly create every last detail of whatever the thing is, and and you have to stop yourself at a certain point because you have to you know recognize that number one it can't necessarily be printed. And number two, it's not necessarily going to be visible, and it's but it's so addictive because you're like, man, I can put a slot in every single one of these screw heads. <laughs> I know what you mean because when I'm designing etch, there's a limit to what you can etch, and it's it's yep. there are very uh, strict physical limits based on the thickness of the material and stuff, mm-hmm. and the, the thickness of the um, the etch and stuff like that. You know, the the bit you're, it, the thing you're etching a hole in, but uh. But when you're zoomed in on the screen designing it, you can exactly. design anything. And then you 100%. zoom out and you think, oh, that, that is not going to etch. <laughs> or if it does, yep. um, you're going to get the fret back and it's going to be a hole where that grill is because you've done the the, the lines of the grill 0.001 mil and the limit is 0.2, uh, 0.02, yep. you know, stuff like that. Yep. You're zoomed in at a, in, in the thing and like on my Mac, it's, you know, 27 inches of, of glory and then you realize it's like three thousand percent only... to get that little square. <laughs> right. Hey, wait a minute. That thing is only a quarter of an inch in diameter. What am I doing? And you just have to, you just have to step. Away. Or you zoom out and you think there's no fucking way on earth anyone's going to be able to get that off the fret and fold it and stick it on. It's just not going to happen. Yep. Yep. Well, we could talk about this all morning as usual. But hey, let's let's go. Uh, let's have a little break, and then we'll get onto the listener mail because we've had some great emails in this week. Don't forget, you could support the Sprue Cutters Union by backing us at Patreon. All you need to do is go to the Patreon website and look up the Sprue Cutters Union, and you can decide how much you want to give us monthly to support us and help us pay to keep this show going. We've got hosting fees and other stuff to pay for, and your help really does count. We very much appreciate your support. We've had a bit of mail in this week, and uh, I know we always say that we like the hate mail, but we don't actually get a lot of hate mail. Uh, we weren't going to read the nice mail, because I don't... I don't know. Because <laughs> we never get any. <laughs> we don't, we don't <laughs> get a lot of any kind of mail. <laughs> Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, right in you fuckers. Sprucuttersunion at gmail.com. So anyway, we had an email this week from uh, Brian Thorison. Brian is in the US. Uh, Chris, Tracy and Will, I wanted to write and say a heartfelt thank you to you fellas for the content you have been producing lately. I find your format and quite frankly your attitudes towards our hobby awesome. 
I appreciate your candor, finding it refreshing that you are completely yourselves at all times. Well, <laughs> I don't know how to be anyone else. Pretty amazing, considering what a fake world we seem to live in. <laughs> I've enjoyed the series of interviews you've aired, particularly with uh, David Parker, Fanch Lubin and Martin Kovac. Uh, I'm guessing he hasn't heard the, uh, the Adam one yet, because he's going to love that. As a side note, that uh, beep, 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 Martin got his grouchy aircraft modeler to give tanks another whirl. Wow, that's good, isn't it? Mind you, that's all we talk about lately is tanks. So if you don't like tanks, you better find another podcast. I also have particularly enjoyed you calling out the gatekeepers in the IPMS realm, and I'm guessing he means elsewhere as well. Just to prove I'm not a robot, I've been modelling aircraft for 36 years. I've had an active presence in a few modelling forums, such as Hyperscale, LSM. I think that's large-scale models. Yeah, and LSP, large-scale planes. Large-scale Great models. group over yeah. there with Kevin and the guys. Check it out. I built professionally for a firm years ago, doing everything from architectural models, museum pieces, uh, and other stuff for private collectors. Uh, and I think he kind of goes on to say he kind of lost um, his joy in the hobby because of uh, the business side of it, which I think it's not something that's happened to me, thank God, but it does happen to a lot of people. They, you know, they say if you make your uh, your hobby your job, you'll never work another day in your life. Or you'll end up hating your hobby. That's the other one that seems to happen. So anyway, it goes on. Uh, <laughs> recently, because of you and the guys over at PPP, big shout out PPP, uh, podcasts have got me excited to a level that I have not felt in years. I have been enjoying the hobby consistently again. So thanks for that. I'm really glad about that. That's really nice to hear, isn't it, guys? You know, we, we, I know we talk a lot about being critical and stuff. Yeah, yeah that's, a fa- that's a fantastic email. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean, I, I feel like... Anytime we can do something to help guys enjoy their their hobby more, yeah, that's a solid sure. day's work right there. Yeah, and it was actually great to hear from him because I actually met him. He says, "Yeah, yeah, met you yeah. Oh, way back in yeah, the day." Yeah, and I remember, I remember the conversation. Um, IPMS Eagle Squadron. Yeah, IPMS Eagle Squadron, our local chapter here. Back when I had time to go to that. 15 plus years ago. I don't even remember the last time I've been out there, but hello to those guys. What's up Eagle squadron. Um, but I remember that, that conversation with Brian. So it's, it's awesome that he's, um, that he's written in. It's awesome that he's still interested in the hobby. I'm glad to hear that. And he was very complimentary about some advice that I'd given him a long time ago, which I don't recall exactly what I said, but I hope it was helpful. Well, it must've been, uh, or encouraging. must've been, um, one of those two, if he remembers it, so that's really nice to uh, to be remembered for things like that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It was it was a nice email to have. I mean, he complimented us all on our on our individual things, and I want to say thank you for that. That was really kind of you. We won't, we won't read those out. Well, what I what I love about it is, I mean, it, look, we it's it's really easy to bitch about stuff. I mean, we do it on Facebook and whatever all the all the time. We do but it here. It's our favorite hobby, me and we do Will. It here. Tracy's a bit more positive, but you know. <laughs> Right, we're 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 professional complainers, but people people rarely take the time to to say something nice, especially in as much detail as he did. And the fact that he would take the time to do that means a lot. Yeah, thank you, Brian. We really do appreciate yeah, absolutely, it. Absolutely. Uh, he also says he's a metalhead, so you know he must be a great guy. He's a metalhead. Yeah, he's a metalhead. Yeah, yeah. Well, that means he's on my team, not you two punk rockers hey, team. Yeah, I like a hey, bit come of on. metal I'm, as well. I'm, yeah, I love metal. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Right. 
We've had a couple more letters. I'm going to read one that's representative rather than reading them both because they more or less say the same thing. From Greg Lester, uh, who I believe is in Australia. And Greg says uh, he's not an armor or aircraft modeler, but he still gets a lot from the podcast, mainly for the attention to detail and attitude. And I think, yeah, I mean, that was the whole point of it, really, wasn't it? That the detail and the, the attitude should be all across modeling. And the way we look at modeling, it's not genre specific. Uh, and he says that I uh, make ships uh, and he's been fortunate enough to build one of my kits. Um, weathering big ships such as battleships scales down a lot of what you've talked about, particularly the big bits of steel. And I'd love you to have a warship modeler on at some point. Uh, again, the constant no ship would get that rusty is probably bullshit, given no one seems to take photos of dirty ships and can only find clean ones. Just today, I shared a photo of the brand new British aircraft carrier, which I think has only been commissioned in the last couple of months. It's only been in the water for like six months. And it was rusty as fuck around the anchor chain. They always say it's that. a nose on ships, they call it the nosebleed because you get the nostrils at the front and the, the bread coming down from it. And, um, you know, the rest of the ship is pretty spick and span, but that when you're pulling that chain up and dropping it in the water and pulling it up again, yeah, you're going to get rust. Ships do get rusty, so anyone that says they don't is um, full of it. Uh, it goes on to say there's a lot of new 3D printed stuff uh, which makes the ship more realistic and less like a toy. It's one of the reasons I love ship modelling. It's like a little jewel, all these tiny little incredible details and will you must be able to appreciate that the um the level of stuff they get in at companies like micromaster and black cat on 350th scale stuff using 3d printing and 3d design mm-hmm. uh, and he's not expecting a response but he's got one there you go he'd like <laughs> us to talk more about warships now i read this one because i'd like to talk about it but i think it's pretty bloody niche you know i mean modeling is niche and then ship models within modeling it's even niche niche. It's niche niche. It's niche uh, squared. <laughs> so if you want to hear more about ships, write in. Otherwise, I'm a bit reluctant to cover it, to be honest. I think, look, I think if we can find an amazing ship modeler out there, uh, that, that, that would be you. great. What about me? Hey, you're already, <laughs> you're, you're already on here, motherfucker. Come on. I'm kidding. I'm we, kidding. We, we hear enough. We hear enough from you. I'm just saying, you know, if, if there's a if there's a, a Mike Rinaldi or an Adam Wilder or whatever equivalent ship model out there, let's get that guy on here because yeah, I'm sure it'll be an right. I'm sure it'll be an interesting conversation. So let's you know. Hey, you know what you know what would be an interesting conversation is to get the guy who wrote this letter to interview Chris. <laughs> there are some great be. guys out there I think there's a possibility maybe we could get two or three of them together on a round table and I would hope one of them would be Moraine actually to talk more about his ships because he didn't yeah. really, he talked about yeah, his ships are pretty, he, yeah his he ships does some are amazing dope. ships if we could get him and maybe uh, Costas Katsias uh, um, and uh, McCabe. a couple of other guys on Mike McCabe, yeah, and a couple others on. We we could have a really nice conversation if we're going to do it. Do it really well, you know. So that's a possibility. We'll we'll um, look at that for the future. All right, that's it for the letters. Uh, we will be back in two weeks with the legend Peter Usher. If you don't know Peter Usher's work, go and have a look at it on Facebook. He is an incredible diorama builder, modeler. He's he's got so many skills. Uh, and such great uh, abilities about storytelling and detail and everything else. We did that interview uh, yesterday, and I think, uh, what do you think, guys? I think they're going to love it. I was telling Will earlier, I was just buzzing all night. I couldn't stop talking about it. Um, 
even my wife was like, wow, you're you're really excited about this. <laughs> Shut uh, the fuck up. <laughs> well, at a certain point, I do, yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought, I think a lot of people might know his work, uh, like I said, by on site, but maybe yeah. not. I think he flies under the radar. And... I think it's because, like David Parker, he doesn't blow his own trumpet. No, you know, he doesn't one of those at all. People who drops his work now and then, but he's not a big self promoter. No, but yeah. I, I think people are going to be absolutely fucking blown away by this interview. Like, yeah, there there's not one single element of anything he does that's not completely thought out and intentional. And he walks us through a couple of his uh, of his works, and just is just pointing things out, and you just your jaws open like it's just unreal how thorough and cerebral uh, everything that he does is. It was yeah. I thought I intellectualized my work. I felt like a right dullard. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> wow, that's deep. That's really deep. It was, yeah. it was good. It was it, it was intense, but I think it's going to be a good listen. But hey, before we split, I almost forgot. Um, so that's for future interviews. Going back to past interviews and one of our, uh, shall we, dare we say, alumnus, um, Al Murray was on 60 Minutes this past Sunday night. And I thought that was just super cool. Um, I'm sure you can, you know, for you guys like Chris, you're over in the UK. Anybody that hasn't doesn't have, uh, you know, access to 60 Minutes, I'm sure you can find it on the old YouTube. What was he? What but was he it doing? Was, well, it was a segment um, about the demise uh, and possible recovery of British pub culture. Oh uh, yeah, you know, because yeah, because yeah. of yeah. COVID pub and landlord. all those, right? And you're right because he's the pub landlord, and he was every bit as charming and engaging and just super cool as he was when he was here on on uh, on the podcast with us. And I just thought that was neat, you know, because there I am. I'm watching 60 Minutes, and I'm like, hey, hey, there's our, he's, there's our guy. He's another one of those Allison. guys. He's a very – he's a deep thinker as well, you know. He's, he's always yeah, got yeah. He's, he's a good to say. Yeah, good dude. Just made me feel cool by association. So go find, <laughs> 60, go find 60 Minutes from this past Sunday. That was October the 17th, I believe. Uh, anyway, yep, go check it out. Oh, actually, on a related note, for Armour fans, uh, we have ways of making you talk his podcast. Did two yeah. episodes, um, one this week and one last week, about Patton, uh, General Patton. And General Patton is one of those, amongst Armour modelers, all the British modelers go, hey, Montgomery, Patton was an arsehole. And all the American modelers go, Patton, hey, drive Monty back into the sea. And, you know, this is like old school rivalry and Everyone thinks their guy was great and the other guy was shit. I learned a lot about Patton in this one that I didn't know, and it's really, really interesting. It totally upended my own ideas of, of who he was. So if you're interested in military history, go and check those out. They're free to um, listen to. Get the podcast the same place you get this podcast. Uh, we have ways of making you talk. Yeah, that's a great podcast. Yeah. All right, so that's it. Adios. We're done now, aren't we? So bugger off. Bye. Bye. <laughs>